Hello, everybody, and someday I am going to make a better fade out for that virtual legality intro. But welcome to day 637 of the long march towards Xbox times Activision. Or at least it seems this way. It's going to be somewhere in the mid-50s on the playlist of the Microsoft Activision deal. But I just felt, after yesterday's stream, after all the activity that we all have been through together regarding what is happening with the United States Federal Trade Commission and their push to sue Microsoft and Activision to stop their deal, that, well, one, we could use a little clarity on some specifics that I saw a lot of people asking questions of me about yesterday. And two... Since we have a complaint document, which blessedly is about 23 pages and not 230, we should go through what the FTC has to say. A few things before we get started. One, this is a live virtual legality, especially for those of you listening to it recorded or in podcast form. So we are interacting with chat and I intend to interact with the chat component of our YouTube video as much as possible while still also training like a laser beam on talking about the legal issues of this document. So folks, if you haven't been with me on a virtual legality live before, if you weren't here yesterday, I will try to answer questions if I see them, if they're marked as question, at Hoglaw, super chatted, or otherwise, if they catch my attention. If I don't see you, I'm not deliberately trying to ignore you. I'm just trying to get through the legal documents. And as some folks say, I do focus pretty hard when I do that. And we do have a number of paragraphs of material to get through. Now, I'm not anticipating this to be a four-hour, six-hour type stream. I actually think we're going to be able to get through this document quite a bit more quickly than some of the other documents we have reviewed in this capacity. But, you know, I've said that before. So if you're interested, if you're ready, if you want to go through exactly what the Federal Trade Commission had to say, I say we get started. On your screen right now is the official adjudicative process complaint from the Federal Trade Commission. You can see the four commissioners listed right there. There should be five but one commissioner spot is held in vacancy, and it is in the matter of regarding Microsoft and Activision. Now, if this were a federal lawsuit, you'd actually see this depicted a little bit differently. It would be the Federal Trade Commission as the plaintiff side of things versus Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. This is not a federal lawsuit, and I think it's very important to take a stop right there. I know we're on the opening citation here, and we can't even get out of there without me pausing things. Yes, it's definitely gonna be a short one, right, folks? Uh, but I think folks have gotten a little bit mixed up, uh, both in kind of the journalistic side, but also just the folks that are following this story about what is the difference and what does it mean that this isn't a federal lawsuit? So let's break that down a little bit right here at the front end. So we're pulled up the Federal Trade Commission website. This is their archive of proceedings that they are going through right now. And the Federal Trade Commission has within its own ambit, its own agency, a judge, could be more judges. It's one judge right now. Uh, and they can go and they can bring a complaint document to that judge. And that judge will enter into a proceeding through which the Federal Trade Commission effectively decides to take action uh, against a party or parties that are engaged in this case uh, in a merger. Uh, so they can do that. That's all in-house. Uh, the administrative law judge is supposed to evaluate the rules of law and everything else and, and do it in a non-biased fashion, not just in favor of the FTC. And in fact, their one administrative law judge has ruled against them a couple of times in the very recent past, because as we've talked about in this space, Federal Trade Commission is, uh, let's be generous, testing the boundaries of their authority uh, in this area and under the Federal Trade Commission Act. And so the adjudicative law judge looks at 
what's happening and says, oh, that's too far and has acted against them. Now, the inherent problem with that process is that the appeals of a decision against the Federal Trade Commission through an adjudicative proceeding is to appeal to themselves, appeal to the commission uh, as a body. And it should come as no surprise to you that when you appeal to yourself and you say, you know what, I think I was right on that. You go, yeah, you know, I was right on that. Forget that administrative law judge. It starts to look a little bit like a professional sports adjudication when the person that brings the complaint is the same person that hears the hearing itself. Uh, so in this case, that's the issue. Let's see how the FTC describes it. In some situations, the FTC files a complaint under its administrative process instead of taking the case to a federal court. This is called the adjudicative proceeding. The party can decide to settle with us or they can, can contest the charges. We'll be back for that one. If they contest the case, it is heard before an administrative law judge in a trial-type proceeding. The legal library has information about cases brought to us before an administrative law judge. So you can see here, this is updated. Here's one about Home Advisor. We know this one, Microsoft, Activision, Blizzard. Illumina is one that they pretty famously lost at their own adjudicative level uh, and that they're still looking at doing something about. They've stopped the federal court proceeding for a preliminary injunction. Who knows where that's going to go? Same with Jewel Labs. There have been a number of issues for the Federal Trade Commission. So the most recent things on this list are basically the Federal Trade Commission having trouble getting things through their own adjudicative process. It has been an interesting time for the FTC. And we have to take that into account because historically, what I would add to this is if you get a complaint brought against you by the FTC, a whole lot of parties are just going to drop. They're just going to withdraw. They're going to say, all right, this is too much trouble. We're not going to otherwise engage in this transaction. But- you see here above, in some situations, they'll do this this way and not the federal court. They always have to do the adjudicative proceeding in order to decide to do something themselves as a body. But one thing that they can do at the front end instead is that they can go and seek a preliminary injunction from a federal court. And it does what it says on the tin. They go and ask a federal court, which is not in-house at the Federal Trade Commission, to block the deal. And you do this for a number of reasons. If you're the Federal Trade Commission, it's very often done in a deal where you think it's worthy of blocking. You do this because the federal court has the power. Federal court can go and say, under court rules, under the judiciary powers, we can block this deal. And it's not a full trial. It's a somewhat shortened trial. It looks, it looks a lot like a full trial for those of us on the outside. But you go through and you try to get it blocked. In fact, that's what Facebook is dealing with right now uh, for their within deal. But, but, and this is important, one, that means you take it outside the family if you're the Federal Trade Commission. Whatever your claims are, are going to be evaluated by an even more neutral party than your own adjudicative professional. Two, you also have an issue with the preliminary injunction that there has to be something that looks like a pending closing, right? If you're going to go ask the court to stop a closing, they're going to be using their equitable powers to actually go through and change something. Uh, in the case of Microsoft Times Activision, you don't have anything that looks like a pending closing because the EU still hasn't made any decision. The UK still hasn't made any decision. Those are months out. And so if you're the FTC, you look at this and you say, okay, we don't probably need a preliminary injunction right now. And I know that some folks are reporting that that means the deal is likely to close. I, I think that's way too strong. I, I think it is a possibility to close, but you need two parties that are willing to just close over a pending litigatory review and they don't care about liability. I think that's very unlikely. So I think the FTC says to itself, okay, they probably aren't going to close without our say. So they're under investigation. They're under litigation. We have decided to move against them. Probably not going to close without that. And I would really prefer it if the federal courts didn't look at our claims right now, because what happens, and the Federal Trade Commission has a whole body of law on this, a whole set of rules and regulations is 
What do you do if you're the Federal Trade Commission and you take a claim to federal court asking for an injunction? The court says no. The Federal Trade Commission level says, well, they're wrong on that. Can we still pursue our own adjudication? The answer is yes. Uh, and the Federal Trade Commission has a series of talks and things that you can go and look up online. I didn't bring them up here because they're too technical for purposes of this conversation. They can do that and they can say, mm, yeah, we lost in federal court, but we're still going to bring the claim, but it starts to look bad, right? So that's why the Federal Trade Commission often drops things if they lose that federal level. They prefer not to go through that right now. And I would suggest uh, that that speaks to a certain amount of weakness in their argument. Now, I'm cheating a little bit because I've read their argument. Uh, and we're going to take a look at that. Uh, it is immediately apparent to me why you don't want a federal judge talking about what you are just claiming in this at all. Uh, and so with that as kind of the background, we can now proceed all the way to the bottom of page one. See, we're getting there. I told you, we, we're getting there. This is going to be a quick one. As you know, I did see some super chats. Let's grab those on the way in. Pre-authorized transaction for $110.09. Hey, Hogue, did you get my Twitter DM? Uh, I might have, I, not for purposes of this video, I'm sorry to say pre-authorized. I have a lot of messages and a lot of stuff flying around. I will certainly check it after this one. Uh, but I do appreciate the super chat and the support of the channel. Uh, Brigadier's Blue, this should be a good show today. I hope so. I think we're going to have fun. A lot of interesting things to talk about. Thanks again for all the time and effort you put into all of this to inform people. I'm more than happy to do it. Uh, you know, I see a lot of folks that don't have my background or haven't looked at things like this. To me, as a corporate guy, this is the biggest story in the history of video gaming. I will be here till the very end, as long as I can do it, because I think this is so important for people to understand what's happening and why. Uh, so I will be here. Thank you so much for the support of the channel. Uh, Frady Socrates, Microsoft poked the Federal Trade Commission bear by spreading rumors of infighting. You think that was Microsoft that did that in the New York Post? Possibly. Then trying to twist their arm with meaningless fodder like Nintendo and COD. Hmm. Interesting. Like they were a kid on some playground. Whose nose got bloody now? Wait till we read the complaint. But I really do appreciate the support very much for Adius Socrates. Clearly on the side of the Federal Trade Commission for this. We'll see how you end up. It's uh, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, and I think I caught a couple more rear at the end. Mark, hey, Hogue, did you see the EU accusing the FTC of lying? I DM'd you the source on Twitter. Okay. All right, we are going to talk about that subject. I believe it can only really apply to the accusation that Microsoft misled EU investigators. So we will assume that the EU has said something about that. I really do appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it is clear that the FTC is misinterpreting what Microsoft said and putting it in a very specific form in the complaint. Uh, but suffice it to say, and thank you very much for Kevin Johnson becoming a member. Suffice it to say, as we saw in that summary of how adjudicative proceedings work, you can always settle, right? This is something that kind of gets skipped sometimes when people are talking about these issues. You can always settle. So a lot of people think, and a lot of people have presented, well, since this isn't asking for preliminary injunction, they really want to settle. They really want to have more concessions. I think that's mind reading. I think you're projecting into what you think Lena Khan and the commissioners uh, believe on this. Uh, but it is worth noting that you aren't going to have anything as harsh as a court order. I'd argue you wouldn't get a court order out of this particular complaint document in any event, uh, but it's still a valid proceeding. They are still moving to block the deal. They are still going to stop this deal if it goes through and isn't challenged by Microsoft, right? That is what their aim is. This is a different tack. It is not the only tack that the FTC can take, and it isn't really lesser, this is just the same thing they would be doing with a preliminary injunction. They have a, they have decided 
for whatever reason, that they don't need one. I cynically think they don't want to go to federal court, uh, but also that they don't need an injunction because this deal isn't likely to close anytime soon and the parties aren't likely to close over their own litigation. So it's in the eye of the beholder. Reasonable minds can differ on these kinds of things, but I really don't believe that just going through an adjudicative process is somehow less than seeking that federal uh, preliminary injunction, even though it's pretty much standard practice for them to go and seek that in very many cases. Lucius Augustus, can Microsoft call the FTC's bluff and force them to ask for preliminary injunction? No. Would that bring it to a neutral judge faster? We're going to talk about that at the very end of this video, because there's a very interesting Supreme Court case that might come to Microsoft's rescue in the middle of next year, the summer of next year. We'll talk about that as well. I'm also probably in the long term, just as kind of a preview, going to do a video uh, that will be important dates to know. That'll just be kind of list format, but we'll talk about dates really from the middle of December through kind of the end of 2023 uh, that are important to understanding this. I think that'll be a useful kind of video, just evergreen instructional stuff when we're following through with this for the rest of my life. No, for the rest of the year next year. So I think that'll be useful. Uh, but no, Microsoft can't force them to make a legal action. That's not that's not how this works. All right. All right. Let's get through paragraph one, which isn't really even numbered. Pursuant to the provisions of the Federal Trade Commission Act and by virtue of the authority vested in it by the FTC Act, the Federal Trade Commission, having reason to believe that respondents Microsoft Corp. and Activision Blizzard Inc. have executed a merger agreement in violation of Section 5 of the FTC Act, which, if consummated, would violate Section 7 of the Clayton Act, and Section 5 of the FTC Act, and it appearing to the commission that a proceeding by it in respect thereof would be in the public interest, hereby issues its complaint pursuant to our rights to make complaints under those acts. Now, the first one here is more important than you might think. Section 5 of the FTC Act, if we pull this up, is the very standard umbrella term that we think of when we think of kind of Federal Trade Commission, deceptive acts, false advertising. <clears throat> and it's a simple sentence that unfortunately doesn't have a lot of defined terms unfair methods of competition in or affecting commerce and unfair or deceptive acts or practices in or affecting commerce are hereby declared unlawful. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes with that. But here, Section 5 is generally used outside the Sherman Act, Clayton Act, antitrust environment. It is, oh, you have falsely promised that that Velveeta mac and cheese will be ready in three and a half minutes, et cetera, et cetera. It is not, generally speaking, something that enhances or expands the power of the Federal Trade Commission as against the powers that are granted to them under Section 7, the Clayton Act, which says, as we've gone over a number of times in this space, no person shall acquire the stock or other share capital of another person wherein any line of commerce, any market, relevant market is going to come up in our conversation here. The effect of such acquisition may be substantially to lessen competition or to trend, tend to create a monopoly. The FTC's primary power here is... You can go against mergers if that merger would tend to cause problems for competition in a given relevant market. That's the big ticket. But back to Section 5, the FTC has recently, very recently indeed, said, well, Section 5 actually means a lot more than some of you might believe. November 10th, 2022, this is an announcement. Various law firms do this for client releases and things. On November 10th, 2022, the Federal Trade Commission released a new policy statement setting forth its view of its enforcement authority under Section 5 of the FTC Act <clears throat> and announcing it will no longer focus on the rule of reason framework commonly used in Sherman and Clayton Act enforcement to determine liability. We're going to get into this, but understand what the FTC did a few weeks ago. They said Sherman and Clayton have these 
rules of reason. We have to pass through this market test. We have to do all this stuff that the courts make us do. And we think we actually have authority under this different provision in the act to do things on a broader basis. And we shouldn't be held back by the Sherman and Clayton Act jurisprudence. So one of the things that the FTC is going to be advancing as part of this deal is that they actually have more power than you think. And that precedence about things that they have to meet vis-a-vis rule of reason, what the competitive effects are and what the negative competitive effects are, all that stuff, they're not going to have to deal with. As this release says, instead, the FTC intends to broaden its enforcement of Section 5 to focus on stopping unfair methods of competition in their incipiency based on their tendency to harm competitive conditions. This new statement reflects a significant departure from the FTC's previous position and reflects a general trend with the Biden administration towards broadening the scope of its perceived authority and pursuing novel antitrust enforcement efforts. This development at a minimum adds uncertainty for businesses that heightens the need for vigilance in how they operate. In 2015, the FTC released a one-page policy statement about principles of its UMC authority, explaining that it would follow the consumer welfare standard, evaluate acts under a familiar sim- uh, a framework similar to the rule of reason, and align Section 5 enforcement with the scope of the Sherman and Clayton Acts, which makes entire sense. You shouldn't be able to get around the jurisprudence regarding what you are actually doing, which is trying to stop a merger, with some other provision that is less appropriate for that purpose. And yet that is what the FTC has stated that they are going to try to do. The statement emphasized that because Section 5 analysis is purposefully focused on incipient threats to competitive conditions, this inquiry does not turn to whether the conduct directly caused actual harm in the specific instance at issue. Rather, the focus is on whether the respondent's conduct has a tendency to generate negative consequences, for instance, raising prices, reducing output, limiting choice, lowering quality, reducing innovation, impairing other market participants, or reducing the likelihood of potential or nascent competition. So you start to get into that prognostication, right? This is when we go back to that Facebook within video where I said the FTC has gone crazy. That's before this statement is made, where the FTC says basically, well, Facebook could have done something differently. And so we are going to hold them to having done something differently in this alternative universe. And that's then purchasing within for $400 million is a problem for the antitrust acts. This perspective, as described by Gibson Dunn here, means that the FTC may launch investigations of practices before any anti-competitive harm or impact has arisen at all, much less one that causes a market-wide injury. Gibson Dunn, often representing large corporations, obviously a little bit more concerned about it than any given average person, but it's important to understand that that is the framework that the FTC is now operating in. Now, it's also important to understand because I think sometimes people don't realize this. The FTC isn't the final decider on this. The law was passed by Congress. The FTC is acting under the executive branch to do something vis-a-vis that law, but the justice system, the judiciary, can still evaluate whether the FTC has the right to do this. In fact, right now, the adjudicative proceeding is going to go like this. They're going to enter into these various uh, evidentiary agreements. They're going to have an evidence hearing, again, presuming that there's no settlement in between now and then. And then after that evidence hearing, if the FTC wins, Microsoft can appeal it to the Court of Appeals. If the FTC loses, they can appeal it to themselves, declare themselves winners, and then Microsoft can appeal to the Court of Appeals. And then if there is a Supreme Court decision next summer that goes a different way, Microsoft could just short circuit the entire proceeding and just sue the FTC in district court and say, let's settle this in an actual federal court and not through your adjudicative proceeding. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, but it's just important to note, as I've said throughout this playlist, that the FTC is seeking to expand its authority 
without changing the law, just saying, oh, we found this authority under the sofa cushion. And there is going to be a certain amount of pushback from that process. A lot of the justice system is probably not going to like this. And so that's why I keep saying this is a weak case. They're trying to expand certain things. And you ain't seen nothing yet, because when we start to get into their market conversations and whatnot, where serious gamers play, my God, we are in for a good time. I do want to catch this super chat before we launch into paragraph one. Austin, does this path differ than if the FTC just wanted some concessions? If so, how? Uh, They wouldn't have had to have brought this. They wouldn't have had to have brought this uh, into a formal proceeding. They could have just drafted their complaint. They could have passed that complaint along. And then they could have just decided to settle with concessions without this big press release that we're suing them and Microsoft is the devil and all these various things. They could have drafted this complaint, established what they think the problems are, and and hash that out behind the scenes. Now, is the Federal Trade Commission, real politic-wise, going to skip out on a chance to pillory big technology? Uh, I think we know the answer to that at bare minimum now. Uh, So I think that the chances of concessions being the answer have been materially reduced. I don't think they're non-existent, but I do think, and this is another question that people have asked a lot, that the EU, the UK, are able to use this action by the FTC as political cover for things that they might already be inclined to do, right? And it's not like the jurisdiction of the UK needs the US to do something in order for them to do it. But if other regulators are acting on those premises, it's a little bit easier to explain, even if the FTC gets busted down in court or the CMA does, whatever it is, you're working together, your neck is a little bit less out there on the line, right? All right. Paragraph one. And there are going to be certain paragraphs here. I know historically when we go through these documents, we've read every word. I don't know that we're going to do that in this case because a lot of it is kind of talking about what Microsoft is and whatnot. But we're going to try to find the big ticket items here. uh, And I think there will be enough to talk about. Microsoft and Sony control the market for high performance video game consoles. All right. First sentence. Couple of things happening here. One, one. We are talking about a monopolistic market control argument against Microsoft, one of the parties. The very first sentence that the FTC puts in this complaint is essentially playing two rhetorical tricks. One, it's combining Microsoft and Sony to establish control of a market, which is a little bit disingenuous when Sony, the clear market leader in the various markets in gaming, uh, is most certainly in control of it with Microsoft to some extent, but we're talking about Microsoft, the non-leader trying to compete more with the market leader. That's the first trick. The second trick you can already see because I've I've highlighted it is that they are limiting this particular conversation to high performance consoles. So what does that mean? What do we know is in this document now? We know they're going to do their darndest to tell you that Nintendo isn't in the video gaming industry. They're going to spend a number of paragraphs on it. They are not compelling, but we'll get there. So the very first sentence, hey, they control this industry. Yeah, Sony might. Sony's the one making price increases across the globe, but okay. They control this industry. And what is that industry? High performance video game consoles. Why do we need it to be high performance video game consoles? Well, it's clear that Microsoft doesn't control anything if we include the Switch. Uh, And so we need it to look like they control something. And these games, these rhetorical games are not going to stop in this document. The number of independent companies capable of delivering standout video games for those consoles has contracted with only a small group of firms commanding that space today. 
Hang on, hold the phone. The number of independent companies, so not Microsoft, not Sony, not Nintendo, capable of delivering a standout video game for those consoles has contracted. There's certainly been acquisitions. We have the Microsoft ZeniMax uh, acquisition. Do we really think that a standout video game, not talking about budget, not talking about anything else. We got the Stardew Valleys out there. We got all sorts of games. We got Stray nominated for Game of the Year with their debut independent title, right? Do we really think that the market for standout games itself is contracting? Or are we really talking about AAA, highly polished, big budget games? And I, I ask these not to be contrarian. I ask these because establishing the proper market and being honest about what that is, is so important to the pursuit of justice on these questions that in sentence two, when you start saying only a small group of companies can make a standout video game, my initial reaction is, have you played a video game? Do you understand the dynamics of this industry? Federal Trade Commission, you're in charge of regulating this industry for these purposes. You're not starting off on a strong foot. Microsoft now proposes to acquire Activision, one of the most valuable of those developers, I'll grant you that, in a vertical merger valued at $70 billion or nearly $70 billion. Now, here's an interesting tidbit. I've long told you that this was both a horizontal and vertical merger. The FTC is not silly enough to try to bring a claim on a horizontal merger. This is a merger of competitors in the same field. As we've said a number of times in Brazil and the UK and the EU and now in the Federal Trade Commission documents, there is really no argument that just because Activision also publishes and distributes games, as well as Microsoft, that they are taking on some kind of control or ownership over the distribution or publishing of video games. That is just not happening, which is one of the reasons this case comes across as so weak, because ordinarily, that's the market you would turn to. We're talking about a company in Activision that publishes and distributes video games. We're dragging in all sorts of other stuff when... That isn't really what we're usually worried about. Verticality, not usually what the merger documents or the merger regulators are super worried about. So this is kind of crafted from a whole cloth and we're three sentences in now and we're seeing everything that they're going to put out here. It is not going to get stronger, I'm sorry to say, but I also feel badly <laughs> for people that are looking at all this and saying, well, is this going to be nakedly political the whole time? Your mileage may vary, but we'll see. If consummated, the proposed acquisition would be the largest in the history of the video game industry and the largest in Microsoft's history. The proposed acquisition would continue Microsoft's pattern of taking control of valuable gaming content. They are buying up developers, but so is Sony. With control of Activision's content, Microsoft would have the ability and increased incentive to withhold or degrade Activision's content in ways that substantially lessen competition including competition on product quality, price, and innovation. This loss of competition would likely result in significant harm to consumers in multiple markets at a pivotal time for the industry. What is this work doing? Here again, you see the rhetorical flourish that the FTC is putting in there. Why are we saying it's a pivotal time? Because we know that there's an inherent weakness in our argument, and we have to try to establish that this is special in some way. right? Everything that you just heard described is not actually substantially less than competition. Why is keeping Activision's games on Game Pass alone or in the Xbox ecosystem not competing on product quality if your entire thesis of this is that Call of Duty is some kind of input into having a high-performance console that can succeed? Which we know is true 
because Microsoft makes exclusive games, Sony makes exclusive games, Nintendo makes exclusive games, Sony pays for exclusivity on a host of things. We know that that exclusivity is valuable to selling game consoles. I'm not going to deny the FTC that. But if that is in fact the case, isn't buying products for your game console on an exclusive basis competing on quality? Is it not? Isn't Game Pass competing on price and innovation? Where are you going with this, Federal Trade Commission? And already from the start, we've got a very interesting assertion in the complaint. Microsoft, one of only two manufacturers of high-performance video game consoles, again, we're just not going to keep Nintendo in the video game industry, develops and sells Xbox gaming consoles. Microsoft is vertically integrated. Through its in-house game studios, it develops and publishes popular video game titles such as Halo. Vertical integration, meaning that they have some portion of a supply chain that is owned in part by them, right? So they sell hardware, they sell games, those games go on that hardware, they sell Game Pass as a distribution mechanism for those games, etc. They're vertically integrated. Uh, such in-house games are known as first-party titles in the industry. Thanks for thanks there, Federal Trade Commission. Microsoft also offers a leading video game subscription service, Xbox Game Pass, for which customers pay a monthly fee to access a library of hundreds of first and third-party video games for console or personal computer. The top tier of Xbox Game Pass, called Game Pass Ultimate, includes cloud gaming functionality that enables subscribers to stream certain games as opposed to downloading games locally and then to play those games across a variety of devices, including consoles, PCs, tablets, and mobile phones. And I wanted to include that paragraph. We're going to skip some of the descriptions. I am going to assume that you have a basic knowledge of what it is that Microsoft does, what Sony does, what Nintendo does, what Activision does. But we will include some of those things. Importantly here, before we dive into some of the things that the FTC says, it, it, the cloud gaming functionality of Game Pass is not sold separately, right? Ultimate is part of a bundle of putting PC and console together. You've got the cloud gaming concept, uh, but it isn't something that appears on its face to have a separate market of its own, which ordinarily would cause an argument about a separate market for cloud gaming to short circuit, or at least have a little bit of logic trouble. FTC has no such compunctions. Paragraph three, Activision develops and publishes high quality video games for multiple devices, including video game consoles, PCs, and mobile devices. Activision's games include high quality games, your mileage may vary, that are commonly referred to in the industry as AAA titles. Hold on, Federal Trade Commission. What are we doing with the definition of AAA? I, I, got, I got news for you, Federal Trade Commission. AAA doesn't mean good. AAA means expensive. <laughs> There are a lot of AAA titles that don't work. Battlefield, anyone? How are you doing with that, Electronic Arts? AAA titles fail all the time, and it is not an indicia of quality. You, you see it throughout this document, these just kind of sleight of hands. What are they trying to establish? Well, I'll tell you, they're going to try to establish AAA as a separate kind of market component. Not really a separate relevant market because they're not crazy, but something that is a really special, important input. And so they'll say that they are high-quality games. AAA games are costly to produce because of the creative talent budgets and time required for development. Gamers highly anticipate the release of AAA games. I think this is fair, uh, but what, what, are you, what are you doing with this statement? And, and I do see you folks with some questions and some super chats. I'm going to try to get to them. I'll probably do it at like the end of pages, page breaks. Activision produces some of the most iconic video game titles, including several leading AAA franchises. For example, Activision develops the popular franchises Diablo and Overwatch and the marquee franchise Call of Duty. Overwatch is a weird inclusion in this conversation, FTC, and one easily avoided if you know that it's, it's free to play at this point in time. But don't worry, Overwatch 2 is going to swing back around in the next paragraph. The Diablo and Overwatch AAA franchises are among several Activision franchises that have individually earned a bunch of money. 
Overwatch just released a successful new title, Overwatch 2, available for play on multiple gaming consoles and PCs. Now, this is really important. This is a free-to-play game. Understand what the Federal Trade Commission is going to do in this document is that they are going to try to establish that a different relevant market exists if you have a different buying model for that product. And nevertheless, they go through this document and they include whatever model it is at the games level without acknowledging the differences in a Diablo or an Overwatch. And then we'll turn around and say the way that you pay for something manages the market. And that's not true in American jurisprudence. They would lose on that. I feel pretty confident in saying we're to come to a federal court, but they're going to assert that and they're going to ignore every other instance where that doesn't make any sense, like with respect to Overwatch 2. Also understanding that there's a different dynamic in play as to how many eyeballs you want to get something to if it's free to play. There is much less of a reason to include that on Game Pass, even though you might just for the icon, or to restrain that from appearing on Nintendo and the PC and the refrigerator and the Xbox and the PlayStation and wherever else when it's free to play, which is all dependent on engagement. There is a very superficial understanding and delivery of understanding in the video game industry in just this first page, and it's going to get worse. Welcome to my complaint review. All right, I want to make sure that we grabbed everything that is a super chat. Uh, folks, I really appreciate all the support, of course. I will try to get to some questions. Uh, we do have some folks referencing the EU regulators' comments here. I'm not sure I'll be able to pull those up on the fly. Tom from Toonami says, if you had to guess what's more likely, the deal passes or MS walks? I really don't think Microsoft is going to walk. Um, that is the first hurdle, is to see whether or not they just fold on this and say, we'll try something else. Uh, but they do owe Activision $2 billion if they do that, and up to $3 billion if they hold. That's part of why I want to do a video on time frames because that penalty price is going to go up. So there's effectively exit ramps for Microsoft uh, if they want to try to bail on this. So I think the more likely the deal passes. Pre-authorized transaction. They don't even bother with the Steam Deck. Uh, that is true, as a matter of fact. They, they separate from PC gaming and mobile gaming, which I think is warranted, uh, but they're not going to talk about the Steam Deck. Uh, Steam Deck. Uh, they are not. Thank you for the super chat, Darth Mac. Funny how they think that Activision quality is high to begin with. A lot of people like Call of Duty, uh, but assuming that a AAA game is high quality is uh, hmm. it's like saying that every movie that has a two hundred and fifty million dollar budget is high quality. Right. Right. Transformers eight or Black Adam or what have you. Come on now. Tristan Brown. Yo, Hogue, looks like the FTC lied about the EU statements about concessions during the ZeniMax acquisition. How impactful is this? I got them. They're into my tabs. I'm going to talk about how uh, they have accused Microsoft of doing some things that Microsoft didn't actually do, which is never a good look in a legal complaint document. Uh, but we'll talk about it certainly in just a minute, I promise. Uh, Viper XT just tagged you to a response from the EU regulator saying that MS never made any commitments to the EU about exclusives in the ZeniMax deal. This kills that argument from the FTC. Let's see, since people are mentioning it, if I can just easily find that, I will try behind the scenes here on the fly, testing my computer's <laughs> desire to stay on and operating. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it, okay, so we've got uh, Cabriel here with a tweet. We've got a reset era post. Um, okay, let's see here. I think we can bring this up. I appreciate it, everybody. And this particular reset era post says, uh, MLAX, which is a financial analysis firm, emailed the European Commission about the FTC accusation, and they provided a very interesting answer. Uh, and that answer is blocked by Rainbow Six Siege ad. 
<laughs> Microsoft didn't mislead EU over ZeniMax deal, Watchdog says in response to U.S. concerns. Microsoft didn't make any commitments to the EU regulators not to release Xbox exclusive content following its takeover of ZeniMax, the European Commission has said. U.S. enforcers yesterday suggested that the U.S. tech giant had misled the regulator in 2021 and cited that as a reason to challenge its proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The commission cleared the Microsoft ZeniMax transaction unconditionally as it concluded that the transaction would not raise competition concerns, the EU watchdog said in an emailed statement. The absence of competition concerns did not rely on any statements made by Microsoft about the future distribution strategy concerning ZeniMax games. Okay, so I appreciate you guys flagging that for me. That is undoubtedly the case, I have to say. Uh, and we're going to talk about how the FTC gets there. We're going to go over that. But yes, that is um, not what you want if you're the United States regulator uh, to have that kind of statement out there with folks talking about what you are basing your premises on, which is important because the reason the FTC includes that in this particular argument is because they are saying Microsoft is not to be trusted, that they are untrustworthy. Uh, and if the EU comes out there and says, oh, no, we're, we're, we're not untrustworthy. We're uh, exactly doing what, well, I'm sorry, that Microsoft isn't untrustworthy, that they are doing exactly what they said they would do. Well, then that's going to be a problem for them. Junk mail, great insights. Keep up the good work. Really appreciate the super chat. Junk mail. No question, just a thanks from Marvin C. Appreciate your content. Well, I appreciate you and your super chat. Thank you so much. <laughs> Juha, WTF, the FTC is lying. This is going to be a gray area right? I, we'll, we'll talk about it. We're going to get there, but I'm glad we were able to grab that. Page two. Activision and industry participants recognize Call of Duty as Activision's key product franchise, which has no meaning specifically under the law. Call of Duty was originally launched in 2003. Activision releases new titles for the franchise on an annual basis, and Activision allocates substantial resources to the franchise. As many as a bunch of primary development studios are devoted to it. Something like a dozen. By any measure, Call of Duty is a leading AAA franchise. Absolutely is one of the most successful console game franchises ever. From its launch in 2003 up through 2020, so a couple of years back, it generated $27 billion in revenues. Good work if you can get it. You can get $27 billion. I say go for it. Activision's content is extremely important for and drives adoption of video game consoles. In a stew, I will grant that. There are probably some people that just go and buy a console for access to Call of Duty, but I think most people are going to buy more than one game for their console and move into other interactive entertainment items on them, but fair enough. We can grant them that Activision's content does help drive a reason to buy video game consoles. Microsoft produces its own first-party video game titles. Microsoft has acquired over 10 third-party studios and their titles in recent years to expand its offerings, which is the main problem that you're going to have throughout this document. Sounds a lot like competition. It's one of the reasons that these deals were allowed. Sounds like you're trying to compete against the market leader. You acknowledge that triple a content however you want to define that or just games in general are useful for selling hardware and microsoft has been trying to compete along those lines because for years and years and years if not decades they were seen as the forza gears halo company and really didn't have anything to compete with sony and yes they're buying it instead of building it organically but that isn't generally speaking a legal distinction worthy of following up with the antitrust laws the proposed acquisition is reasonably likely to substantially lessen competition or tend to create a monopoly. And understand, they aren't just speaking in old English here for uh, the, the effect. You always include, at any regulatory level, the magic words, right? Those are the words in the Clayton Act. That is the thing the FTC is looking for. So you'll see it referenced in this particular way because that's what's important. That's going to happen in multiple markets, according to the FTC, because it will create a combined firm 
with the ability and increased incentive to use its control of Activision titles to disadvantage Microsoft's competitors. Okay. Objection. Um, you have stated what you need to state for the statute, that it will lessen competition tend to create a monopoly. Unfortunately, your sentence is that they will have the ability and incentive to disadvantage their competitors. Folks, I know I've said this before, but the nature of competition, the active competition, the defined term for competition is seeking to disadvantage your competitors, seeking to beat them, take their market share, take everything they have. That is what competition is. The reason the antitrust laws like it is because we think that process of fighting one another has the incentive for you to lower prices. Why do you lower prices against your competitor? To steal their shares. You don't want them selling as many of their potted plants as you can. So you offer your potted plants for less. Or if that is not the way you choose to compete, you offer them at the same price or at a premium, but they're better potted plants. And we believe, basically every Western jurisdiction believes that that process, competition in and of itself, creates consumer welfare, makes things better for consumers. So you tell me, you barring Activision, and you could use that against Sony. And I say, and? This sentence amounts to a raw assertion that you violated the statute with something that is entirely normal for competitive behavior. You've just established for paragraphs that making things exclusive is useful for selling hardware. That's what we want you to do. We want you to compete in the sales of hardware. Where are you going? Federal Trade Commission. Also, they would like to hang on the hat of Microsoft problems with the industry worldwide. The proposed acquisition also may accelerate an ongoing trend towards vertical integration and consolidation in and raise barriers to entering the relevant markets. Okay, so if you didn't just buy this raw assertion, we have another argument, says the FTC. Um, if we allow this deal, there'll be more deals. And that's a big problem. It's not really Microsoft's problem. It's not really Activision's problem or the Activision shareholders that ostensibly deserve the payday that they are about to receive uh, from Microsoft. But we just don't like where this is heading. So we're going to stop this deal. Understand that that's an argument in the alternative. If they can't claim that this actually substantially lessens competition in and of itself, they would argue in that alternative that the long run, this is going to drive a substantial lessening of competition. Doesn't fly. Microsoft's ownership of Activision would provide Microsoft with the ability to withhold or degrade Activision content through various means. They would certainly have the ability. There's no question on this paragraph, including manipulating Activision's pricing. I often said you could just sell Call of Duty for $100 on Sony and make the Game Pass look better. Degrading game quality or player experience on rival offerings or on your own. Changing the terms and timing of access to Activision's content or withholding content from competitors entirely. I've been forfend if we were to make things exclusive. Uh, Microsoft's past conduct, and here's where that European Union rubber hits the road. Microsoft's past conduct provides a preview of the combined firm's likely plans if it consummates the proposed acquisition, despite any assurances the company may offer regarding its plans. We don't believe you. You are a lying liar who lies, says the FTC. So we don't have to believe your neutrality agreement with the union. We don't have to agree with anything that you've told us. We don't have to agree with your Nintendo contract. You just don't tell the truth. Now, this is an interesting stance to take, especially if you're going to base it on something that the European Union, not known for its levity on these proceedings or its leniency towards tech companies is going to immediately discount and argue against. In March, 2021, Microsoft acquired ZeniMax, the parent company of the then well-known game developer and publisher Bethesda, as well as other companies, but fair enough, Federal Trade Commission. Microsoft assured the European Commission, that's the regulatory body for Europe, 
during its antitrust review of the ZeniMax purchase that Microsoft would not have the incentive to withhold ZeniMax titles from rival consoles. But shortly after the European Commission cleared the transaction, Microsoft made public its decision to make several of the newly acquired ZeniMax titles, including Starfield, Redfall, and Elder Scrolls VI. I don't think we have any idea what they're going to do with Elder Scrolls VI, but fair enough, Federal Trade Commission. Microsoft exclusives. Now, as we talked about yesterday, uh, the Microsoft folks actually put together like a real facts PDF through their communications head. And you can see what the FTC is getting at with the kind of very close wording that Microsoft used. But this is heightened even more with the European Commission coming out and saying, no, no, they didn't promise us anything. So in its merger notice to the European Commission on ZeniMax, Microsoft stated, future decisions on whether to distribute ZeniMax games for other consoles will be made on a case-by-case basis, taking into account player demand and sentiment. Factors that will inform Microsoft's decision-making on future games include consumer demand and preference and the willingness of third parties to work with Microsoft to launch games for their devices. And you have to make a statement like this if you're Microsoft. Why? Because the same concerns that you might have that Microsoft could just want to put Call of Duty on for $100 on Sony go the other direction. If Microsoft pledges, yes, we are definitely going to put Starfield on Sony's PlayStation. Sony says, great. Just so you know, for this product, our license percentage is 98%. Now, you've pledged to a regulator that you're going to put it on there. You've told the public that you're going to put it on there. Sony, the third party's willingness to work with Microsoft is the question mark. So you go and you tell regulators, hey, we'll look into these things, but we're going to decide it case by case. That's the statement that they made. They further state, for future ZeniMax games, Microsoft intends to make these games available for purchase on PC. So they're going to be on PC. And where the games are designed as native mobile games on mobile devices running both iOS and Android. We're going to put them on all mobile devices. This is important as well. This is going to come swinging back for us as we get further in the document. Future decisions on whether to distribute ZeniMax games for other consoles will be made on a case-by-case basis, taking into account everything that we just saw. Microsoft will make all acquired games and future releases available to subscribers of its Game Pass service on the day the games are launched, but does not currently anticipate distributing them through other subscription services. So we're clear. We're putting these on Game Pass. They're not going on other subscriptions. This reflects Microsoft's broader strategy to promote a subscription-based model, which it believes will generate value and choice for game players. We believe Game Pass is not just lucrative for us, but it's a lucrative competitive step in this market to get more value to players themselves. This policy would not preclude players from downloading or buying those games from uh, outside of Xbox Game Pass. Microsoft anticipates that existing games and future multi-platform games will be available for purchase from relevant digital storefronts of all major consoles and PCs. Now, I think if you're going to look for a place where Microsoft lied to the commission, it is probably in the fact that they include multi-platform games as a kind of tautological definitional exercise. Multi-platform games will be available multi-platform. Yeah, they will. But that's not a commitment to make games multi-platform games. And they say throughout, they'll decide on a case-by-case basis. So the FTC goes and says, we don't have to believe anything you're doing, despite any assurances the company may offer because you're a lying liar who lies. And then the European Union says, they didn't lie, bro. Didn't lie. That is devastating. Devastating to this particular line of argument. We're only in paragraph 12. I might be here for six hours. I don't hope to be. Today, Activision touts that it is unknown. Now, this this is a redacted version of this document for the hiding of trade secrets. We don't know what this possibly says. What is it that Activision touts that it is? Don't know. 
and seeks to offer its games wherever gamers want to be playing them. It has an incentive to offer its titles broadly. Speaking of which, going back just a little bit earlier, how can Activision be touting something that is worthy of redaction for the protection of the business's trade secrets? Are they touting it or are they not? It's a weird redaction. Microsoft's ownership of Activision's content would alter that dynamic. Microsoft doesn't have an incentive to sell everything everywhere, they say. As Microsoft seeks to increase its profits from the lucrative video game industry, granted Federal Trade Commission, the proposed acquisition will increase Microsoft's incentive to withhold Activision content from or degrade Activision content on consoles and subscription services that compete with Xbox consoles and Xbox Game Pass. Maybe. But this is another raw assertion because you've said the math lines up that they will do this. You have to find a substantial likelihood of this. And yet Microsoft is out there making promises saying, do you have any idea what 70% of the sales of Call of Duty on PlayStation platforms is worth? Do you have any idea? We've run the numbers. We can't make an exclusionary look at this make sense to us. Now, I think Microsoft goes too far in a number of places. I think they often say there's no incentive. And that is what the FTC accuses them of here. They often say there's no incentive. And that is clearly not the case. There is an incentive. What Microsoft's real argument is, and they make this clear in other paragraphs that they use in these various documents, is to say it doesn't make economic sense. Our business modeling is we're going to go forward with this. But they, by denying the existence of the incentive, I think they give the Federal Trade Commission uh, some space to make claims like this. So I do, and I've said this in a number of videos on this topic, I do think that was a rhetorical mistake and continues to be. Uh, as Microsoft seeks to increase its profits, such conduct would be reasonably likely to substantially lessen competition and harm gamers in the United States. Another raw assertion, right? If we want to remove this, we are harming Sony to get market share. That looks for all the world like competition. What are we talking about? These effects are likely to be felt throughout the video game industry. The proposed acquisition is reasonably likely to substantially lessen competition and or to tend to create a monopoly in both well-developed and new burgeoning markets including high-performance consoles. So they're actually saying, buying Activision, removing Call of Duty to Xbox alone, which you have to assert is what Xbox will do, basically, uh, that there's a substantial tendency to this, will give Microsoft such power in the industry that Sony will not be able to compete. This is the adoption of the Sony argument. Including high-performance consoles, multi-game content library subscription services, and cloud gaming subscription services, which is here, where we see that they adopted the CMA's arguments. These are the three markets that they named. Uh, now, they named consoles without separating it out by definition, quite, not quite as clever as the Federal Trade Commission. They just keep answering the Nintendo argument, saying Nintendo is not the same. They're wrong. We'll talk about that when we get there. Multi-game content library subscription services, that's Game Pass versus PlayStation Plus broadly, and cloud gaming subscription services, which effectively right now don't exist. Uh, and so that's a big problem for the FTC as well. Here we get into jurisdiction. They definitely have jurisdiction over this. They're going to talk about Microsoft. The most important thing here, I think, is that they named that Microsoft's gaming division has $16 billion in revenues in 2022 compared to Activision's $8.8 billion in revenues from 2021. This isn't like for like, but they do the best they can. The point is that Microsoft gaming is still a, a bigger kind of thing than Activision. This isn't them just subsidizing off of their $200 billion in revenues at the Microsoft level. Microsoft entered into that plan of merger on January 18th. And then we'll get a little bit more into background. I do want to capture any of these super chats or questions. What do we think so far, folks? Already having fun. I know. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. I think Midnight Dreary already 
said this, but I did want to capture it. Thank you, as always. I do appreciate it. And Mr. Nichols, the EU just called out the FTC on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, I didn't see the Twitter version. I did see the version on Reset Era. We did read the statement that they were reporting on. And certainly that is a monstrous thing for this particular case. Not that the FTC has to care. They can essentially say, we don't have to trust them because we don't trust them. We saw that in the New York Times article where they told the CWA, you just don't have to trust co corporate contracts. There's clearly a certain amount of disdain for corporate operations at the Federal Trade Commission. You can be okay with that. You can hate that. That's kind of a political policy prescription, but there certainly seems to be that disdain uh, just underneath the surface. And that's the current situation that we're dealing with right now. Background. Activision's gaming content is extremely important in a gaming industry where content availability shapes gamers' decisions about which video game consoles and services to purchase. Today, gaming is the largest category in the entertainment industry with revenues that far exceed those of both the film and music industries. Go games. Gaming's unrivaled popularity among consumers is expected to continue. Sure. Video game content and services are generally available on a variety of devices and console purchase consumers purchase consoles based on the technological capability of the console, the price, and the games available for that specific console, among other factors. This is actually interesting because I would love to see a survey. Maybe it'll come up as part of this as to what drives you to buy a specific console. <clears throat> is it brand loyalty? Is it lock-in from trophies and achievements? Is it the games available? Is it what you think is the stronger? I would argue that in general, and I'm not everybody, I'm not the market, when I'm looking at a console transition and I'm evaluating what I'm going to buy, I'm looking at what the specs are of the box, trying to predict out which one is going to run games better, and then comparing the price points of those various things. It was obvious as all heck to buy a PlayStation 4 instead of an Xbox One when those price points came out and you could look at the specs. In this generation, they're far closer, especially since Microsoft isn't selling, uh, well, really anything in the box that they don't need to be selling, like a Kinect, uh, right? Now, then you get to that third category and PlayStation is clearly winning on video games. PlayStation is clearly winning on video games this generation so far because, well, they're releasing first-party video games. I'm sorry, Microsoft. I want to believe you can use these developers for good and make some games that are entertaining, but it was admittedly disappointing that you didn't show up with any trailers at all yesterday uh, at the Game Awards. So that's the state of play here for the situation in gaming as described to us by the FTC. Consoles. For gamers who play games on gaming consoles today, the most popular options, the Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch, come from the same trio of companies that have been manufacturing consoles for decades with no meaningful new competition. That's worth noting here for the Federal Trade Commission <clears throat> that the market share of these three consoles shifts pretty dynamically across generational transitions. You can look at the Wii U to Switch for that. You can look at the Xbox 360 to Xbox One for that or the PlayStation 3 to PlayStation 4. There is dynamism here, even if it's kind of the three-legged stool effect. Since the 1970s, competing video game console makers have periodically released consoles featuring the latest technological advances, with a new generation of consoles released approximately every five to ten years. Within the video game industry, competition for sales and technological supremacy is commonly referred to as the console wars. Now, they're not going to use this quoted phrase uh, much, if at all, I don't think, in this document. So you have to ask, Federal Trade Commission, why are you talking about the console wars? What are you doing? Of these three console makers, PlayStation and Xbox compete in a high-performance segment that includes only the most technologically advanced and capable consoles. In November 2020, both Microsoft and Sony launched their current generation of consoles, the Series X and Series S on the Microsoft side, and the PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 5 Digital Edition on the Sony side, respectively. Xbox Series XS and PlayStation 5 consoles are the only high-performance consoles available today. 
and are considered to be in the ninth generation of gaming consoles. In contrast, Nintendo's most recent console, the Nintendo Switch, is not a ninth generation gaming console. The Nintendo Switch was released in 2017 in the latter half of the eighth generation of gaming consoles, which had begun in approximately 2013. The Nintendo Switch also has lower computational performance, more in line with Microsoft and Sony's eighth generation consoles. Hey guys, Federal Trade Commission, hi. You watching this stream? Remember when you said that competing in the console space is based on factors such as technology, price, and games available? Is it possible that Nintendo is competing for video game industry dollars by doing something different technologically, doing something different via price, and doing something different vis-a-vis video games available on its console? Strikes me that it is. Strikes me that that doesn't remove it entirely from the market. That when we talk about video games, Nintendo is in fact in the video game section of your local Best Buy or Target. And we do talk about them as available for things like game awards. They're treated with kid gloves uh, around video game outlets. They're reported on at the same IGN and GameSpot outlets as any other video game console like Xbox and PlayStation. That in general, when we're having conversations about video games, you go to a podcast, you go anywhere else, Nintendo is going to be included in that discussion. Federal Trade Commission. Federal Trade Commission. We're going to get back to Nintendo, I promise. The Xbox Series X, S are two ninth generation consoles offered by Microsoft. The Series X is the more powerful console, while the S is more affordable, competing on price and with lower technological market. Weird. Together, these consoles provide Microsoft's, I don't know, what is this phrase? Uh, Gears of War strategy. (laughs) Microsoft closely tracks the performance of its Xbox consoles relative to Sony's PlayStation consoles. Sure. Uh, For example, in fiscal year 2022, the first full year that Xbox Series X and S were available, one of Microsoft's key metrics for evaluating success was uh, market share against PlayStation. In internal communications, Microsoft executives regularly discuss PlayStation. Sure? We don't know. Those are all snipped. Xbox Series X, S have been a commercial success. Uh, Satya Nadella announced the company had been the the market leader in North America for three quarters in a row among next-generation consoles. You know, the Federal Trade Commission is supposed to be a neutral body evaluating these things on a neutral basis. It would be worth noting that Sony has clearly been supply constrained during the period coming out of the pandemic uh, and that Sony PlayStation is still expected to be the market leader at a considerable clip for high performance consoles, ignoring, of course, the market leader in Switch with its 60 jillion consoles out there. But that's fine. The Xbox Series XS and PlayStation 5 consoles are blank from a broad consumer perspective. Comparable? What are you actually getting rid of in these redactions in a number of technical specifications, including offering similar graphics, user experiences, and hardware features? They are pretty close uh, for this generation. In addition, they're sold at the same price, at least the Series X is. Well, the Series S offers lower performance and is sold at a lower price. Sound like any other major market participant? Don't know, don't know. Other consoles lack the high performance of the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5. For example, here we go, the Nintendo Switch, which is designed to allow portable handheld use, necessarily sacrifices computing power, like the S does, which leaves it unable to play certain games that require more advanced graphic processing. Certainly, the S can't play them quite as well. Retailing at 300 bucks, the Nintendo Switch is also less expensive than the X and 5, both priced at 500 While the Series S has the same retail price... Uh, at launch of the Nintendo Switch, the graphical and processing capabilities of the Series S are much more aligned with the X and PlayStation 5. Yes, they all compete on these various metrics that you just identified. The Xbox Series S enables gamers to play the same video games as the X, both of which offer more graphically advanced gameplay than on the Nintendo Switch. Which admittedly is five years old, uh, 
but is still participating in the industry. Go check out those Pokemon sales. <clears throat> Gaming content, multi-game content library subscription service. Before we get into that, I do want to capture, we got some uh, super chats in here, I think. Uh, and I do want to make sure we get all of those as we proceed on through this just wonderful document. Uh, here's Kasim. If Nintendo is not on the same market as Xbox, PlayStation, does that mean Nintendo is a monopoly? Yeah. Nintendo is a monopoly on the low performance video game ecosystem and they best watch out. The Federal Trade Commission is going to come after him. No, it's a great question. Honestly, this bifurcation makes absolutely no sense, has made no sense in any regard. We have other regulators talking about this. Uh, the CMA is trying to get rid of it. We don't know what the European Union is doing. We saw Brazil say, hey, Nintendo doesn't have Call of Duty. Uh, and yet the other aspect of this, and we got more Nintendo paragraphs to come, I promise, is that the Microsoft deal with Nintendo, you don't have to love. But you can look at it as Nintendo is clearly trying to participate in the higher end triple A market. You can't just discount that if you're the Federal Trade Commission as ah, not real. They are a market participant with a huge amount of success. This is all kind of that reverse reasoning that I usually accuse Chief John uh, Roberts of, right? Where you come up with your premise, you come up with your conclusion, and then you make all of the logic get you to that place. This document in its entirety reads like we're going to sue you. And we're going to figure out why as we write. That's what's happening. Uh, Yun Bataan su suggests that the FTC is taking bribes from Sony. I don't know that they have to. I think Sony provided a hook to hang their hat on with Call of Duty. But I think the FTC is evincing a desire to sue because Microsoft's on the top line. They're a big tech company. And that's what they want to do. This seems very politically oriented uh, based on what they are going to present. There are no smoking guns in the quotes that they have. They've deposed all of the relevant executives in this deal. And there is nothing that is very convincing in this document. Sorry, spoiler alert. If you want to opt out now, you can. Uh, all right, let's proceed. I'll take a sip here before my throat gives out completely. <clears throat> For the last several decades, gamers have purchased games through a buy-to-play model, either purchasing physical copies of games or more prevalent today, purchasing digital copies of individual games that gamers downloaded their gaming console, PC, or other device. If the FTC really wanted to have fun, they would say, you don't actually purchase a game at all. You buy a, a license to it that gives you access to one personal copy. Recent years, however, have seen the expansion of a subscription model. Multi-game content library subscription services allow gamers to access a library of games for a fixed monthly or yearly fee. Microsoft's multi-game content library subscription service, Xbox Game Pass, launched in 2017. Hmm, it's actually older than I thought. I had never looked at when it launched, but that's the same as the Nintendo Switch. Weird. Rapidly grew to 10 million subscribers by 2020, and in 2022, announced it had grown to 25 million subscribers. Xbox Game Pass provides subscribers with unlimited access to a library of over 300 first- and third-party games at no additional cost. Well, at, at no additional cost to the, to the service. The service is priced at $9.99 per month for gamers who seek to download games to play solely on an Xbox console or solely on a PC. The higher-tiered service, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, priced at $14.99 per month, allows gamers to download for play on either Xbox console or PC, and additionally enables gamers to stream games. Note, importantly, that that is not a separate market. That is a combined price that instead of $20 for an Xbox and a PC, gets you a $5 discount for buying both with a little sweetener. With a little sweetener. Sony also offers a multi-game content library subscription service as of this summer. So one of the things you can see strategically is that Sony launches PlayStation Plus, whatever they are, extra and premium, in order to have these paragraphs happen right? That there is a market for this, that this is something that is separate in some fashion. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's what motivated them entirely. I think their lunch was getting eaten by Game Pass in general, uh, but it does serve a purpose if you are the Sony headquarters folks for this. Uh, 
The lower comparable tier PlayStation Plus Extra priced at $14.99 per month provides access to a library of hundreds of games that can be played on PlayStation consoles as well as online multiplayer access, discounts on other games, and cloud storage. The higher comparable tier PlayStation Plus Premium priced at $17.99 per month provides access to an even larger library of games that can be played on PlayStation along with cloud streaming. Now, again, if the FTC is playing fair here, they would also have talked about the history of this, which is a combination of PlayStation Now, which was a cloud streaming service that existed before any of the stuff we're talking about with Microsoft, and in fact existed in the PlayStation library because of an acquisition they made to garner that technology in Gaikai. But none of this goes for the actual reasoning that the Federal Trade Commission wants to put forth. In addition to Sony's PlayStation Plus Extra and Premium, other multi-game content library subscription services, including EA Play and Ubisoft, the EA Play is $4.99, Ubisoft is $14.99, and they give access only to the content from those publishers. They're not really comparable. They aren't in this specific market. That's a description of the subscription service market, according to the FTC. For cloud gaming, things get weird. Today, video game software typically runs locally on the player's gaming device. Recently, however, cloud gaming subscription services have been introduced that allow players to stream games that run on remote hardware without downloading the game locally. How did that work out for Google? And where is Amazon's Luna, by the way? The primary processing for the game occurs in off-site data centers, and a live feed of the game is streamed to the player's device. Microsoft touts numerous benefits of cloud gaming to consumers. Cloud gaming enables gamers to begin playing a game in seconds rather than waiting for games to download or update, and streaming rather than downloading avoids burdening the storage limits on a gaming device. Cloud gaming also broadens access to gaming by expanding the universe of devices that can play games. Today, cloud gaming subscription services are available on consoles, Windows PC, Mac PC, Chromebook PC, tablet, mobile phones, and some smart TVs with device com uh, compatibility varying by service. This permits gamers to play computationally demanding games on less powerful devices like the Switch hmm. that otherwise lack the computing power or storage to support the games. Now, what you've got here is the Federal Trade Commission trying to establish that cloud gaming's like a big deal. This is a super important market. What they're ignoring is that you've got failures across the board on this and that Microsoft's primary argument with respect to cloud gaming is that we don't even know if this is a market yet. It's not even a nascent competitor, which is what Facebook and Meta and Within are arguably dealing with in the FTC. It's a nascent market. And that's even more kind of problematic for enforcement. In September 2020, Microsoft added cloud gaming to its top tier multi-game content library subscription service offering. To date, more than 20 million gamers have used the service to stream games from the cloud. I I've tried. It is not my preferred method of playing games. Microsoft has stated that cloud gaming subscription services are integral to its goal of expanding gaming to 3 billion gamers worldwide and enabling gamers to play the games you want with the people you want anywhere you want. Uh, and again, if this all sounds like competition to you, product differentiation, Sony works on VR, Xbox works on uh, cloud gaming. If that all sounds like normal competition in industry, you're not alone. Other cloud gaming subscription services include Amazon Luna, NVIDIA GeForce Now, and Google Stadia, although Alphabet Inc. has announced that it is discontinuing Stadia in January of 2023. Amazon's Luna, priced at $10 per month with additional options available for further purchase, provides streaming access to a library of over 100 third-party games. GeForce Now, priced at $49.99 for six months for the priority tier, or $99.99 for six months for the RTX 3080 tier allows gamers to stream game titles that they already own and probably not a part of this market that we're talking about at all. Now, a non sequitur. Importance of AAA games. AAA games are particularly important within the gaming industry. Well, it seems like you better define them pretty well then, FTC. The term AAA is frequently used by industry participants to refer to highly anticipated games bearing similar characteristics, high development costs, I think we could actually end the sentence right there. These are the expensive games. 
superior graphical quality, and expectations of high unit sales and revenue. It's it's funny, right? If you got high development costs, you necessarily have high expectations of getting sales because you don't arrive at high development cost land if you're not a completely irrational business actor without believing that you can sell a bunch of them. <clears throat> Typically from a studio with large development and publishing teams supported by extensive marketing and promotion. AAA content can act as blank, whereas a consultant to Microsoft explained it, blank. You know, they're anchors. They're the, they're the big stores in the mall uh, that can help drive content uh, customers to the smaller stores in the mall. In the words of one Microsoft executive, blank and blank, production budgets for AAA games frequently exceed blank million, if not blank million. I'm going to go with 50 and 100. What do you think the numbers are back there, chat? 50 and 100, I would say. The gaming industry recognizes a limited top tier of independent game publishers, sometimes referred to as the big four or simply the AAA publishers. What? Activision, Electronic Arts, Take-Two, and Ubisoft are the only AAA publishers. These publishers reliably produce AAA games for high-performance consoles and collectively own a significant portion of the most valuable IP in the gaming industry. These high-profile franchises include Call of Duty, FIFA, Grand Theft Auto, and Assassin's Creed. Wow. Okay, so a lot of publishers can, can work with this. The one that is the most obvious uh, that is making AAA games is Square Enix. Um, certainly we see a lot of Square Enix games, but they are limiting kind of their review here to what we might describe as the Western uh, publishers, which is fine. Uh, but certainly I don't think every AAA game pops out of Activision, Electronic Arts, Take-Two, or Ubisoft. Now we're also got AAAs from Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft. Uh, and that does make a big, big portion of the industry. But it is interesting to see them try to establish that buying Activision is a really big deal, maybe even more so than you might otherwise think. Because the thing that is missing here is that when you're competing on consoles, breadth is also important, right? How did PlayStation start competing with Xbox in the early days of the Xbox kind of running the show after the 360? PlayStation became Indie Station. They went to Indies. They got a lot of games within their ecosystem. Big four AAA publishers might make a lot of games that move a lot of bodies, but they aren't the only things that are going to keep you playing your console. So this does depict a kind of misunderstanding with what is happening with the gaming dynamics overall. 47, only a few other studios are typically credited with releasing AAA games. Epic Games, makers of Fortnite, a minor game, a free-to-play game that is currently one of the most popular games in the United States, is sometimes viewed within the industry as a AAA-level publisher, such that industry participants will sometimes refer to the big four plus Epic. Hey, if they're calling it the big four plus epic, more power to them. I think maybe they are having a problem with the dynamics. And I don't know exactly where this quote comes from. Internally, Microsoft recognizes SNP. Despite significant growth in the gaming industry, the head of game studios has noted SNP. Microsoft and Sony also produced the AAA games. What do they include? The Elder Scrolls, Halo, and Forza franchises from Microsoft, God of War, MLB The Show, and Spider-Man from Sony. Those are interesting choices in the second parts in and of themselves. Those are both licensed titles. Sony could only make those with licenses from outside licensors themselves a part of the contract process. Microsoft's own experience, and here's some Microsoft burnage, <laughs> own experience with releasing AAA games reflects the cost and time to develop such content. Halo Infinite, a recent title from the Microsoft's first party Halo franchise, was in production for, I don't know, 10 years and cost almost a huge amount of money. Other AAA games may take even longer to develop. For instance, according to one Microsoft executive, Blank, a forthcoming title from Blank, may take a bunch of money to develop. 
Microsoft's own development woes coming back to hit them here as the FTC establishes what? That AAA games isn't quite its own relevant market, but is more important than other games? What exactly is Embracer Group doing in this particular calculation? What is Tencent doing? Why are they investing in not these publishers? What is happening in the FTC's conception of video game industry dynamism? I don't know. I can't tell you. Access to AAA content is crucial for Microsoft, and the company strives to ensure that new AAA content is available on its console and subscription services on a regular basis. Mr. Spencer of Microsoft said something here. If there is a smoking gun, it's probably in one of these redactions, but it isn't immediately apparent from what has been seen. AAA content has particularly important downstream effects because it generates player interest, develops a base of users, and drives monetization opportunities. A bunch of stuff from Microsoft about their various strategies. And again, we're describing a situation in which Activision is pretty valuable. I should say so. This isn't a revelation that Microsoft is spending $70 billion on something it thinks is pretty valuable. To differentiate their products from rivals, a competitive notion, console manufacturers and subscription service providers may seek to make certain titles exclusive to their products and unavailable on rivals' products, including by obtaining exclusive licenses from third-party game publishers. And then Microsoft has an estimate. Typically, exclusivity in this context does not prevent a game from being available for PC or other non-console devices. Absolutely fair enough. But differentiation is 1,000% a competitively acceptable use of contract restrictions. A diverse array of AAA content that increases adoption and engagement gives a console or subscription service greater leverage in attracting additional content. This is your network effect argument. The console or subscription service can tout the size of its player base in negotiations with publishers and developers seeking to increase the discoverability and engagement of their content. At an internal Microsoft strategy document notes, blank, the results of these dynamics is to generate competition among console manufacturers and subscription service providers for AAA content. So this has every indicia of the Federal Trade Commission really wants to say there's a market for AAA content and by taking Activision off the market, eh, something is happening. They understand that none of this logic works to make a market in which Microsoft competes or to have a problem under the antitrust laws, but they're setting this all up as Activision is special and important and different than everything else. It doesn't quite work. Microsoft expects the Activision AAA content blank. As Mr. Spencer explained to Microsoft's investors, as our platform becomes more attractive, the flywheel of content creators and players accelerates. As the creative range in our platform continues to expand, more players are attracted to the service. The growing scale of the customer base makes the platform more attractive for additional publishers and so on. We want to go and compete with Sony. Activision content is especially valuable to any gaming console or subscription service due to the ability of Activision games to drive sales and engagement. Bobby Kotick testified that Activision games are real hot and tempting. Microsoft in pre presentations to its board of directors regarding the proposed acquisition called Activision's content blank. Real good. We're snipping out these various testimonial pieces and it doesn't make a bunch of sense. Activision currently has a combined huge million number of MAUs, that's your monthly active users, uh, and blank. Even among AAA games, Activision's most well-known franchise, Call of Duty, is particularly strong. First released nearly 20 years ago, Call of Duty is in Activision's own world uh, words, one of the most successful entertainment franchises of all time. Indeed it is. That's why it's commanding $70 billion and not eight for, for ZeniMax. Now, we're going to get into the nitty gritty here. So we're going to take a break. We're going to take a sip from our beverages. Before we proceed, I've got some super chats to grab. Let me know if there's some thought that you have about what we've read so far before we get into their actual monopoly arguments. Uh, or what you think of what the Federal Trade Commission is putting out there. 
Uh, Iliad says the EU just publicly refuted FTC's claim on Zenimax, sent you a DM. We, we read it earlier in the video. It is absolutely a public refutation. Uh, and so it is a big deal uh, for the Federal Trade Commission saying that Microsoft can't be trusted and the European Commission saying they can. Thank you so much for the super chat. I appreciate it. Final Fantasy 16 is not AAA law. I think that's a law to the Federal Trade Commission, right? Certainly if we saw the trailers yesterday. Square Enix is definitely putting out AAA games. Maybe not as much as the big four, but I don't think Electronic Arts is really covering themselves in glory with releases here other than uh, you know stadium upgrades and uh, roster upgrades to things like FIFA. Ruben Reyes, I thought Mario, Zelda, and Pokemon were AAA titles. Guess I was wrong. So they were separating the independents from the first parties. So we, we can't call the FTC on that. They say Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo make AAA games, um, but that they're talking specifically about the independent market, which doesn't make any sense. It's a bridge to nowhere. We're not going to see AAAs really kind of impact the relevant market analysis here. They just wanted to kind of frame Activision as special. Um, and that's kind of useful rhetorically. We can, we can grant that. Uh, but it doesn't make a legal case for them. It's not a separate market. Nobody would say the AAA games and non-AAA games don't exist in a single game market uh, to potential purchasers, right? You can look at a game like God of War Ragnarok and say it's $70, and you can look at something else that is also $70 and say, well, that those are different kind of games. Those are different quality. One's shorter. One has less uh, you know, attributes, uh, has lesser textures, lesser lighting, whatever. And you look at the same price and say, oh, they, they aren't competing, competing. But they are. They are 100% competing. Uh, Nicholas says some of the arguments seem vaguely contradictive. We're just getting started. Not really. We're an hour and 15 minutes in. <laughs> uh, all right. So we got those super chats. Uh, Hogue, we got a question. What will the FTC do now that the EU has said Microsoft is true? Will the FTC change that part or take it back? Could this put some pressure to the F on the FTC to act different? I'm going to be honest. By the time you put out this document for public consumption, I don't think you care how you look. Um, this, this is a, this is a very, uh, weak set of arguments. We haven't even gotten to the real weakness in the legalese kind of setting, uh, which we're about to, when we look at the relevant markets definitions, but I, I don't think they care. I think, I also think that they didn't need to use that example for, we don't trust Microsoft. They could have used something else. Uh, and so I don't think it actually changes. They just fundamentally don't believe Microsoft. I think you can question a regulator that is going to do these depositions and then just say, we don't have to trust what they say. Uh, that isn't a terribly useful investigative approach without some other kind of outward indicia of evidence. And to the extent that they were relying on the fact that they lied to the EU and the EU says they didn't lie, that doesn't look good for the FTC. But to be frank, going back to the start, this doesn't look good for the FTC, period. As I said at the start of this video, I think there's a reason they didn't take this to the federal courts. And I think it's because they would have been absolutely bombarded in those courts. Let's talk about markets. Now, if you followed this channel for a while, you know, at the start of Epic versus Apple, I talked to you a little bit about antitrust and how it works. And one of the things that I've said is that defining the market, setting what the market is, is 90% of an antitrust case, right? Because if you set that market small enough, if you can convince a court that it is small enough, then a monopoly exists everywhere. I like to use this as the example. I am a monopolist provider of virtual legality episodes. And if you think that the market is virtual legality episodes, you could say you're a monopolist provider. You're restraining trade. You're, why aren't you letting other people uh, on your show and just take over and make their own virtual legality episodes? Um, gee whiz, I don't know. But obviously that's not the right market. So we look at a market and say, what are substitutes for each other? Where would a person that's looking for uh, videos go? Okay, well, all of YouTube is pretty much substitutable 
uh, for one another so they could go out to there. Maybe you're just interested in lawyers. You think you can make a lawyer market argument. Well, you've got a lot of lawyers there on YouTube. Emily D. Baker is going live in about 45 minutes. I've got a redirect set up on this stream if you like her stuff to send you to whenever we finish up here. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of substitutes there. As you broaden that out, the numerator of Hogue Bank's virtual legality episodes looks less and less like I have market power or I'm a monopolist. And so you have to make sure to get that relevant market correct. And the other thing that I've said with respect to this particular deal is that it's very difficult to imagine a successful argument that gets you to a place where subscription services is a different market than gaming or game distribution or that cloud gaming, which doesn't have any kind of market right now, at least as far as we're talking about with respect to Microsoft, is a different market than subscription services and a different market than gaming overall. If you can't make that case, you find yourself, at least on the distribution side, in the market of game distribution and publishing. And no reasonable person would accuse Microsoft of taking a monopoly in overall making of video games by buying Activision. There's just too many players and the percentage ownership of making video games is too small for Microsoft and Activision combined. It is a non-winner. It is the reason you see the Federal Trade Commission avoid calling it a horizontal merger at all because horizontal merger would imply an issue with purchasing up a competitor in the making of games space. So they have to go with the vertical argument, but in doing so, they have to do, well, three things. The first, they have to kick Nintendo out. Nintendo blows up their console argument because it is very, very clear that Microsoft doesn't have any chance of having market power in the overall gaming console market. So they have to kick Nintendo out to even make this math make remote sense. And even then it's pretty specious because Sony is the market leader in most instances as we look at most jurisdictions. The second thing they have to do is they have to try to establish that Game Pass is different than buying games. We'll see how they do with that. And then they have to establish that cloud streaming services exists as a market separate and worthy of protection from both subscription services and from gaming overall. We'll see how they do with that. Spoiler alert, not well. Let's dig in to relevant markets. The proposed acquisition will result in a combined firm with the ability and increased incentive to withhold or degrade Activision's valuable gaming content to undermine its competitors in multiple relevant markets. Now they use undermine here to imply nefariousness, but it just looks like competition. You just established for pages that making AAA game exclusive is worthy of the competition between the consoles. This is just a heightened version of that. And it's difficult to see how that isn't just competing for that vertical high performance console market. This anti-competitive behavior, that's just an assertion, is reasonably likely to lead to reduced consumer choice, higher prices and, lower, and or lower quality products and less innovation. And the proposed acquisition will not produce cognizable pro-competitive effects sufficient to offset such harms. Oh, are we going to talk about this when we get there? This is actually just the kind of executive summary, and then they're going to go through all of these arguments. There are a number of things that Microsoft has credibly claimed are pro-competitive effects, things that are good for consumers coming out of this deal, including, but not limited to, attempts to blow open the mobile gaming ecosystem, which is one of the highest priorities right now from seemingly all outward indications for regulators in the United States and elsewhere. And the FTC just ignores it. We'll get there. Paragraph 61, the proposed acquisition is likely to harm innovation. For instance, by decreasing the combined firm's incentive to optimize Activision's content for gameplay on rival hardware, thereby reducing the quality of consumer gaming experiences on competing products. Interestingly enough, Sony currently makes a game that's available on Xbox and Xbox Game Pass. And through contract terms, they don't make it operate worse 
on Xbox. That game is called MLB The Show, and it's clear that their licensor, the Major League Baseball, requires them to make a game available on uh, the Xbox platform. Uh, so this is the kind of thing that is entirely handleable by behavioral constraints. You want to put a contract in place? It says, hey, Xbox, you can't make it worse over there. Yeah, you absolutely can do it. Now, the difficulty there is that the next generation, especially, we don't know what the boxes are going to do. We don't know whose is going to be better. Sony might make another cell processor. We have no idea. But you can contractually constrain these kinds of things if that is a legitimate concern. The proposed acquisition is reasonably likely to substantially lessen competition or tend to create a monopoly. There's those statute magic words. In the relevant markets, we'll get there, for high-performance consoles, multi-game content library subscription services, and cloud gaming subscription services, the proposed acquisition is thereby reasonably likely to result in harm to both competition and consumers. Raw assertion, but let's see their homework. First, high-performance consoles are a relevant product market. So the thing about establishing a market, we've already talked about, is that you have to make sure the, the outside is correct, right? So the real big issue here is should Nintendo be in this market because that'll change your denominator. And so what they're going to spend a lot of time on is establishing that Nintendo is not a competitor. High performance consoles are a relevant market for evaluating the likely competitive effects of the proposed acquisition. The only high performance consoles offered for sale today are the most recent generation of Xbox and PlayStation. The third major gaming console available today, the Nintendo Switch, is highly differentiated from the Xbox and PlayStation consoles in significant ways, the Nintendo Switch therefore is not included in the relevant market. If you want to anticipate where there's going to be a big section from Microsoft in their response, which is going to be due in pretty short order, so get excited. I think there'll be another December episode on that here in virtual legality. Uh, but if you, if you want to expect something from Microsoft, you're going to get a big, big counter to this because this doesn't hold water from any kind of reasonable look at the video game industry. Microsoft's Series XS and Sony's PlayStation 5 consoles are characterized by greater computational power, different content portfolios, different form factors, and technical specifications, generally higher prices. The X and S issue is really going to hurt them there. And different release cadences than the Nintendo Switch and other handheld consoles. All right, let's go through that list. Superior computational power enables faster processing that shapes the kind of content that can run on high-performance consoles, enabling higher resolution, more realistic graphics, and cutting-edge performance. Both Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 consoles have similar hardware, and Microsoft and Sony compete closely on hardware innovation, including over graphics and performance. Okay, so this is kind of hardware innovation. That's software innovation, mostly graphics, that kind of thing. Hardware innovation is to enable the graphics and performance, so maybe you can count that as hardware. Conversely, Nintendo pursues a different strategy of integrating its lower performance portable hardware with its own distinctive first-party games to appeal to player nostalgia for Nintendo's unique gaming experience over high-resolution lifelike graphics and performance speed. They aren't in the market because Nintendo's a nostalgia play. As if Xbox doesn't sell us Halo every few years, right? Uh, but it is interesting to just look at this particular analysis. When you do have the S sitting right out there as a Switch kind of competitor, you don't have any distinction really from what you just said, which is that consoles compete on technology price and gaming portfolio. You put Nintendo into a different bucket because they have a different, they have a different gaming portfolio at a different price with different technological considerations. That's exactly how we would expect brand differentiating to occur in a combined market. But go, you do you, Federal Trade Commission. While Microsoft's Xbox Series XS and Sony's PlayStation 5 consoles incorporate semi-custom systems on a chip designed by AMD, Nintendo Switches runs on a non-AMD system on a chip that is more closely related to the mobile device processor found in higher-end mobile phones and tablets. 
So <laughs> was Sony not a competitor in the generation where they had a cell processor because it wasn't the same kind of organization? Of course not. Of course not. These are not going to get any more realistic, guys. Microsoft and Sony compete closely for high-quality, resource-intensive AAA console games. Granted, they compete over genre coverage, portfolio size and quality, and multiplayer game availability, and they routinely benchmark their, I don't know, frame rates against each other. A substantial share of high-performance console content is available on both Xbox and PlayStation consoles. By contrast, although Nintendo offers third-party content on the Switch, Nintendo's main strategy centers on blank. Hold on. Hold on. Your assertion, Federal Trade Commission, is that a substantial share of the content is available on Xbox and PlayStation consoles. That is undoubtedly the case for Nintendo because the substantial share of video game content are, are indies, are, are games that don't require the full spectrum of AAA computational power. Nintendo has a huge library of games that largely mirrors a lot of the library if you go and look at the PlayStation Network store because a lot of those games are going to be 2D jumping games or action adventures in a point and click format or anything in between. The, the consoles 100% compete against each other on this stuff. And note the sleight of hand here. The Federal Trade Commission goes from saying what the share is to what Nintendo's main strategy is. No one is arguing Nintendo's main strategy is to sell their brands and their first person software, which is family friendly in general. Although, as we talked about, they have funded the existence and creation of a mature rated game in Bayonetta 3, which does hurt the argument that Nintendo isn't even trying in the less family-friendly or nostalgia-driven campaigns here. But you switch from what strategy is to what substantial share of content is because that's losing for you, Federal Trade Commission. So you do this throughout the document. It's killing me. It's killing me. Xbox Series X and S and PlayStation 5 consoles provide a technologically advanced gaming experience from a stationary endpoint, okay? The Series XS and PlayStation 5 are plug-in devices that draw electrical power to support advanced computations. In contrast, the Nintendo Switch is a portable battery-operated device with a built-in display screen, and it can optionally be connected to an external display. I think you're downplaying the notion of what the word Switch as the branding of the Nintendo product is, right? Yes, it's portable, but it's also docked. In fact, my Nintendo Switches are almost always played docked. And I know some of you are already rolling your eyes and cringing at that notion because it isn't as technologically powerful as something like a Series X or S or a PlayStation 5. But there's no question in my mind. What is the most anticipated game from the Game Awards last night? It's The Legend of Zelda 2, right? Legend of Zelda 2 isn't going to have high resolution specs, isn't going to have advanced computational requirements, not going to have ray tracing or volumetric shading, I don't think. And yet, it's the most anticipated game. Why? Because they're all the same market. PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, the company's latest flagship consoles, retail for 500. By contracts, the Nintendo Switch retails for 200 less at 300, really. So again, a fair assertion here would note the, play, the, the Xbox Series S, which it does above. But if you're going to just have this, it's, it's worth noting that Xbox felt the need to compete at the lower price point, thought that that was a good idea, why did they feel that need? Well, because Nintendo is out there gobbling up some of that market share. Since the 2000s, Microsoft and Sony have released new console generations largely contemporaneously, most recently in 2020, and the Nintendo Switch is marching to the beat of its own drummer on releases, so it's suddenly not a competitor because its release was in 2017. Now, if we're really being honest, right, the Nintendo Switch OLED model launched after this. Is it kind of a Nintendo Pro? A little bit. It's got a bigger 
screen. It's got a better screen. If you're going to talk about the form factor, it's a distinction worthy of mentioning if we're playing fair ball, referee. Don't know that we are. Don't know that we are. Microsoft talks a bunch about PlayStation. Due to their distinct offerings, Microsoft and Sony consoles appeal to different gaming audiences than Nintendo Switch. I don't exist. I don't exist. I play Pokemon, and then I do go and play Evil West, but I don't exist. Got through God of War, then went over and played Assassin's Creed on my Xbox. Don't exist. Different gaming audiences. While Xbox Series X and S and PlayStation 5 consoles offer more mature content for more serious gaming. What do you want to bet that that'll be a quote at the top end of some outlet reporting on what the FTC said? FTC calls Xbox and PlayStation more serious gaming. Nintendo hardware and content tends to be used more for casual and family gaming. (laughs) Get through Fire Emblem on hard, FTC. Do it. (laughs) Honestly, mature gaming does not mean serious gaming. There's a whole host of ridiculous mature games. You can't go four feet in Saints Row without being absolutely ridiculously laughed at for whatever joke is going on. You can't go into a game like Fire Emblem and assume it's casual or family gaming. I I can barely get past some of the skill challenges on Mario plus Rabbids. And yet, this is how the Federal Trade Commission is choosing to differentiate. The Xbox and PlayStation are serious. Nintendo is for casuals. Okay. Okay, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 might be 150 hours long, uh, and it might have more complicated systems than any game that Xbox or PlayStation has put out this year, but all right, FTC. Okay. But they're going to lose it anyway in the next one. Indeed, dual console owners are more likely to own one high-performance console and a Nintendo Switch than two high-performance consoles. Big price might have anything to do with that, FTC? Nah, forget it. NPD Group, a trusted source for video game industry data, shows that as of 2020, nearly 40% of PlayStation and Xbox owners also owned a Switch. All right, now, if we're going to use numbers, FTC, we got to be careful here. 40% of PlayStation and Xbox owners? So is that a separate group? Is that a combined group? Because I own a PlayStation and an Xbox and a Switch. I'm not clear what you mean. Let's assume that you mean separate groups. If you own a PlayStation or an Xbox, 40% of you own a Nintendo Switch. While only X percent of PlayStation console owners own an Xbox and only X percent of Xbox owners own a PlayStation. Now, what's intriguing here is that this is an NPD group uh, document. Why is this redacted? What are you redacting from these documents? This is apparently a public report, or at least a report that was made available to you that it isn't trade secrets of the parties. Why are you redacting on their behalf? Other video gaming devices available today are not commercially reasonable alternatives to high-performance consoles. These include gaming PCs and mobile devices. I am mostly going to skip these two paragraphs because I think that is true. I think that is obvious. And most importantly, from the Federal Trade Commission side of things, Microsoft in Epic versus Apple testified to gaming PCs and mobile not being a part of the console market, right? So I think that's a given. I think the Federal Trade Commission is right there. High-performance consoles are thus, if you could throw in a therefore, a relevant antitrust market. However, although the Nintendo Switch is highly differentiated, it shares many of the same characteristics that make high-performance consoles distinct from PC and mobile devices. So on a linear timeline, PC and mobile is over there, but the Switch is close. So accordingly, the anti-competitive effects of the proposed acquisition alleged in this complaint are also reasonably likely to occur in a broader market for gaming consoles that include high-performance consoles and that the, the highly differentiated, just repeat highly differentiated to make it true, Nintendo Switch. 
what is that for? Why are you including that particular bit of rolling back on yourself? It is also likely to affect the Nintendo Switch when you know Microsoft is just going to roll in with a response paragraph that says, if it does, how has Nintendo survived for more than 10 years without Call of Duty, the key AAA centerpiece with which Sony cannot survive without? How is that going to work? This is one of the worst portions of their logic here, uh, this Nintendo stuff. And I think they basically drafted this because they saw what Brazil did. They saw the CMA basically said, nah, bro. And they said that we have to flesh this out a little bit. This is god awful. All right, this is god-awful. We read through all the mature games on Nintendo. You can't qualify it by genre anyway. You've established that console games compete on things like form factor, things like technology, things like price, things like available library. Switch is clearly in that market. The existence of the Series S suggests that Microsoft believes there's a market to compete with Nintendo Switch for at that pricing point, and you ignore it all. Why? Because Nintendo's presence in the market, if we're just talking about consoles, eviscerates this. There is no chance of Xbox with Activision having market power over gaming consoles. They are not at that level. They are not at that size. So you say, we're going to kick one of three horses out of this three horse race, and we're going to pretend there are two so that we can make a specious argument to establish a monopoly or market power. To me, as a lawyer, this offends the conscience. This is cheating to get where you want to get at the end of the day. Honestly, I think this would be stronger if they dropped the console argument and just aimed like a laser beam at Game Pass. Because I think it's a weak argument. I think it's stronger than consoles. And if I sound a little passionate about that, it is because I am, I would feel the same way. If Sony were trying to buy a large corporation and then the regulators kicked Nintendo out as between Sony and Microsoft to make Sony look like a bigger monopolist than they are. This is not a fair way to characterize the video game industry. And that is the crux of the issues with this document. Now, since I need to breathe, I'm going to take some super chats and take some other comments from you because, my God, some of this stuff is absolutely ridiculous. I did see a section there. I want to make sure I don't miss anybody. Uh, And I should do a better job of capturing these on the time, but I, I get into my conversation points here. I think we got from Nicholas, I believe, some of the arguments seem vaguely contradictive. Indeed, they do. And then... Uh, we have another super chat here that says from Phaedrus, FTC has solid arguments. Okay. All right. Your help to Xbox to strawman and attack them is only to pushing FTC to improve, solidify further those solid arguments. Sunglasses emoji. Thanks. Hey, if they can improve these, more power to them. I would be entirely in favor of a regulator improving these kinds of arguments. Hopefully they can. Hopefully they're watching the stream and they can look at it and say, oh yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bummer of an argument. They got other fish to fry though with the European Union calling them liars uh, today. So that'll be interesting to follow. Uh, this is not a strong argument, Phaedrus, but I do appreciate that reasonable minds can differ and that you have a different look at this particular document. Tom from Tudami, is there a possibility the CMA and EU are looking at this and saying the FTC is going too far with this even further than we can go? Well, they're undoubtedly reading the complaint document. It matches a lot of what the CMA says. So the CMA is not looking at it askance. I don't know what the European Commission is going to do. Uh, they came at it from a slightly different area. They have a market in like Windows they're concerned about. So we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, but certainly I think I, I'm trying not to do what Phaedrus accuses me of. I'm not trying to re- lead you down the primrose pl- path here. There are just weaknesses in these arguments and tricks that they play with how they're describing this market that I think are important to point out. And I do think that that is a failing overall. And this does look like a document to me that the conclusion was reached before the argument. So that's what I will say on that. I don't think the CMA and EU are going to 
govern their choices solely on what the FTC does, but it does provide a certain amount of political cover to know that the FTC is also moving against this deal. Pre-authorized transaction. I didn't know consoles were separated between high-end and Switch. No, that's not the sections that you see in the local uh, video game store, is it? Timmer says, I don't exist. I own an Xbox, PS, and Switch 2, Hogue. Blood Brother, we're just going to have to go and exist on our own. They're completely different markets. We couldn't love both, except that 40% own a Switch and an Xbox or a PlayStation. Okay. All right. Interesting. Interesting stat there. Obviously, the $300 price point, something of an impact on whether or not you buy into a second console. Uh, but let's proceed on to their best argument, but still a problem one. Multi-game content library subscription services are a relevant product market. So this has to mean that the Game Pass games are not substitutable by buying games. That a reasonable person wouldn't look at these as just different methods of buying the same kind of thing. And obviously that's a problem for the FTC because every Game Pass game is available to purchase. In fact, the way the Game Pass works is to give you discounts on that and to move things in and out of the Game Pass uh, as a service. And so it looks for all the world like it's just two different buying methods within a given industry or market. Now, what is the FTC going to say about that? It's a relevant market for evaluating competitive effects. The relevant market for multi-game content library subscription services includes services that offer unlimited access to a library of video games that are predominantly played on non-mobile devices and are available to play at zero additional cost beyond the subscription fee. Microsoft is already a significant player in this market through its Xbox Game Pass offerings, granted. Microsoft offers three tiers of Game Pass. Each service competes aggressively to offer the best, most exciting titles to attract users to its service, with each attempting to provide access to a compelling library of high-end AAA games. Now, notably, that's exactly what you said about consoles and game distribution on the whole. So that already sounds like we're talking about a single market differentiated only on a buying mechanism, but let's continue. Services offer a range of incentives to developers and publishers, including attractive revenue splits or co-marketing arrangements in order to ensure games are available on their services. Multi-game content library subscription services rely on distinct pricing compared to the traditional buy-to-play model where gamers purchase individual games for up to $70 per title or more. Multi-game content library subscription services seek to offer a new method of access, accessing games by offering access to an entire library for a periodic fee rather than a single title for a fixed cost, which admittedly sounds like a way that you might be able to save money, which is consumer welfare, of course. Subscription services, blank, 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 blank. Buy-to-play games are not commercially reasonable alternatives. So this is important. This is the key. They have to win this point or they lose it all. That buying a game is not a commercially reasonable alternative to subscribing for a game, even if it's the same game. Good luck, FTC. So they are no, therefore not included in the relevant market. Multi-game content library subscription services provide immediate access to hundreds of game titles for a monthly fee, facilitating content discovery. The pricing of individual games does not dictate Microsoft's pricing decisions for its Xbox Game Pass subscriptions. Additionally, when speaking with third-party game developers, Microsoft executives tout Game Pass as beneficial in some way. Microsoft further showcases the additive nature of Game Pass through public statements that report Game Pass subscribers invest more time and money in gaming than their fellow gamers without a subscription. I'm not sure, Federal Trade Commission, but I think you might have blown up your own argument. Right? You're saying that they aren't substitutes. They aren't reasonable commercial alternatives. And yet what Microsoft says in their own statements... What they tout to third-party developers is that you will sell more through our marketplace, through our buy-to-play, by being on Game Pass, that it's useful to you as well as it's useful to us because there's a bouncing effect 
that this is one market. This is one ecosystem. How do you think that they make money on that? They sell the DLC to their games. They sell the next game. People are invested in Microsoft and they go on to the store. Now, I think you can question Microsoft and some of the baseline numbers that they're using on this. I would love to see that you know, written out for the public consumption so we could analyze it on our own. But overall, you have to make this assertion. You spend one line on it. This is the most important thing in your case, Federal Trade Commission. You spend one line on it and you just say, nah, they're not alternatives. Understand, by the way, that there's federal jurisprudential precedent that says the way that you buy something doesn't make a new market, right? If we imagine this in metaphor land, you can imagine you're going to a car lot. You're going to a car lot and they have a certain amount of cars. You can buy those cars, cash, if you're so lucky. You got a bag of cash, you just come up, buy that car. Or you can lease that car. Those different markets for that car? Leasing, buying? I wouldn't think so. Let's take it closer to Game Pass. Your lease can have one payment per month but you can bring the car back at any time and you can get a new car, right? You can do that. Does that make those cars in a different market than the original buying of the car? And more importantly, is the concept of a, a, a lease that allows you to come back and return a car, does that put your business in a different market than the dealership down the street that sells cars and leases cars as well? I would argue that it doesn't. And I think it's patently obvious when you think about metaphors that way that it doesn't. And the FTC knows this. The federal courts have ruled on this kind of thing pretty recently in terms of other mobile concepts and subscription services and things along those lines, that the way that you pay for something does not a new market make. Federal Trade Commission has to rest its argument on this. And how do they do it? With a sentence. They don't have anything here. And that's the biggest surprise to me. I figured that a motivated regulator that was looking at this particular deal would have to know it had to come out guns blazing on this particular issue. They had a lot to say about the Nintendo Switch, right? And those arguments weren't good, but they were a lot of them. You put those at a judge and you hope the judge buys one of them. In this case, they just say they're not. They're not. And then including as part of the evidence, well, people also, Microsoft says they buy more stuff. Doesn't that make them one in the same market? Doesn't that make them substitutable for each other? What are we talking about? What is going on? <laughs> and this is what we're dealing with throughout the document. All right. Subscription services that focus on enabling online multiplayer gaming like gold and essential are not reasonable alternatives, right? I think that's fine. They're not part of the market. Subscription services that do not offer a library of video games are not part of the market. Yep. Multi-game content library subscription services comprise that market. The anti-competitive effects of the proposed acquisition also are reasonably likely to occur in any relevant antitrust market that contains a multi-game content library subscription service, including a combined multi-game content library and cloud gaming subscription service. So not only are we having problems distinguishing from buy-to-play, we have nothing, nothing that we're going to actually offer you to hang your hat on. But we're also going to have to kind of wave our hands at the fact that cloud gaming kind of goes with it for these purposes. And so combined doesn't change it and doesn't put it into a different market. Okay. Now let's talk about cloud gaming. Cloud gaming subscription services are relevant. The relevant market for cloud gaming subscription services includes services that offer the ability to play predominantly non-mobile video games. The relevant market includes multi-game content library subscription services that offer access to games via cloud streaming, as well as any services that offer streaming via a bring-your-own-game approach, where users play games they own in their own personal library by streaming those games through their cloud gaming subscription service. I actually don't know that that's right. I'm not sure they had to go this far, but there's so few actual participants in cloud gaming because it hasn't proven to be commercially successful yet at all. They probably want to increase the size of the notion of what cloud gaming is. Cloud gaming subscription services provide a way to play games that is distinct from running them locally on the player's gaming device. 
Cloud gaming subscription services are de designed to reach a different set of consumers than other forms of game distribution. Broadly, yes. But certainly as the tippy-top payment plan for Game Pass, that isn't designed to hit anybody but the people that are deeply invested uh, in your community. And, and also, as I said, the real reason you buy Game Pass Ultimate, as far as I could tell, I'd have to survey for incentives, is that you get two. You get the PC and the Xbox for less than buying them each individually. And also you can cloud stream stuff. Right, I have Ultimate because I like stuff on the PC and I like the stuff on Xbox. Uh, but yeah, you can cloud stream stuff uh, if you want. Uh, and are they designed to reach a different set of customers? Not obviously Game Pass Ultimate. Game Pass Ultimate is designed to reach the people that are deeply invested in the Xbox ecosystem. Would Microsoft like to expand that? Yes, that is true. These subscription services enable gaming on devices that do not meet the minimum specifications for large and technologically complex games, such as older and less expensive PCs, MacBooks, Chromebooks, tablets, mobile devices, and smart TVs. This is where Microsoft wants to go. There's no question. They've estimated that the total addressable market for cloud gaming is approximately 3 billion users. I do like it when regulators use kind of corporate puffery against you. Sure, Microsoft. Sure. Microsoft's executives recognize the expanded opportunity cloud gaming offers. For example, the executives say this and this and this. Microsoft says this and this and this. Cloud gaming subscription services also require specialized inputs. They operate on a cloud infrastructure, either by deploying their own dedicated infrastructure or by contracting with a third party. For example, Microsoft built Xbox Cloud Gaming by deploying racks of dedicated Xbox console hardware in Microsoft data centers. Notably, the Federal Trade Commission doesn't slip into the CMA's trap here and pretend like Azure is running Xbox Cloud Gaming. Microsoft has plans to support uh, cloud gaming on Azure probably in the future and expects to spend a bunch of money on it. All of those are clipped out as business trade secrets. Uh, cloud gaming services are the relevant market and the same kind of language that we got for subscription services. So that's the markets that they're trying to establish. And the ones that are the most important for them, subscription services and cloud gaming are just raw assertions. And they don't have a case that cloud gaming has proven to be a commercially viable market at all, at all. So cutting the legs off of the growth of that market is an interesting choice for a regulator that isn't really supposed to be in that business. Relevant geographic market is the United States. We're not going to read through this one. This one's just right. That's what they're worried about. And what are the anti-competitive effects? The proposed acquisition is reasonably likely to substantially lessen competition or tend to create a monopoly in the relevant markets by creating a combined firm with the ability and increased incentive to withhold Activision's valuable gaming content from or degrade Activision's content for Microsoft's rivals. Okay. Now, again, you're back in raw assertion land. We have an incentive potentially to keep it from our rivals. That's how we compete for consoles. You've said that elsewhere. How is that substantially less than competition of creating a uh, monopoly? That's your sentence, but it doesn't actually check out. The combined firm would have the ability to exclude Microsoft's rivals from access to some or all of Activision's content in the relevant markets. True, granted. Microsoft would have the power to decide if, when, and to what extent Activision content will be available on competing products. Granted. The proposed acquisition is likely to increase entry barriers, thereby dampening beneficial rivalry and innovation. Going to need more on that, FTC. If permitted to make Activision a, a captive supplier or, you know, just a part of Microsoft, Microsoft would have a substantially increased incentive to engage in strategies that would likely lead to reduced consumer choice, higher prices, or lower quality products and less innovation. It's difficult to see that. Let's see what they have to say as part of the argument. But let's first make sure we grab any super chats or any other comments. Again, raise those with questions or cues or at hoag laws if you can. <clears throat> Joe Munger says Vita 3DS, part of PlayStation 4, Xbox One market. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that they are. Uh, but would you say that the Vita and 3DS 
share more in common with the consoles uh, and then Switch shares more in common with the consoles now. You can play Doom on the Switch. You can play Bayonetta 3. You can play Assassin's Creed on the Switch. Uh, you can play a host of mature games on the Switch. And so what we're looking at in this particular uh, locution is, is who is close enough when you have these kinds of conversations. I will grant you that the Vita is not the PlayStation, but the Switch, I would argue, is a lot closer of a question. And certainly every part of the video game industry treats Nintendo as if they are engaged in that industry. Like I said, Legend of Zelda 2 is the most anticipated game. Switch games get nominated for game awards. Switch games are reported on in outlets and podcasts. Switch games are decided between by people that are going to buy God of War or Pokemon Violet, right? These are the concepts that you have to think about when you're delineating a market for this purpose. So I do think Switch is more than a part of the video gaming market. If the court date is past the end of the year or fiscal year, do they have to start all over? No, it depends on how Microsoft and Activision are rolling, but I would anticipate an extension of the contract. You can always amend a contract. Um, and so they would just move that date out. That's actually a one-page type amendment. <laughs> the parties agree that where we used to say this, we say this. Uh, and that just goes into the document straight up. Easy peasy. <clears throat> okay. As the owner of Activision's gaming content, Microsoft would have the ability, granted, to disadvantage rivals by withholding or degrading Activision content. AAA gaming con content is a substantially important input for high-performance consoles, multi-game content library subscription services, and cloud gaming subscription services. As these products use AAA content to attract and retain users, Activision is a leader amongst an already limited number of developers able to produce such content. AAA content is a substantially important input. As discussed above, AAA con gaming content is an important input for consoles. AAA games typically represent an outsized portion of revenue on these products and drive greater engagement and adoption. Microsoft's own executives love AAA games. Similarly, Microsoft echoes the importance of AAA games. They like quadruple A, I believe, at Microsoft. Activision's powerful influence on gaming product adoption is also borne out by revenue share negotiations that people really want Call of Duty. AAA gaming is not Call of Duty. I don't know why they've used this gaming description here when we're talking about realistically one, but one does wonder if Activision stops making AAA games and makes other A games does this argument kind of fall by the wayside? As the owner of the Activision content, Microsoft would have the ability to withhold Activision's content from or degrade Activision content on rival consoles and subscription services. Again, true, when you buy something, you have the right to control how it is distributed. The proposed acquisition will give Microsoft total control over Activision's content, thereby giving Microsoft the ability to fully withhold. The proposed Activision, uh, acquisition would give Microsoft the ability to engage in several strategies to degrade access to Activision. It would, be, it would certainly give them the ability to. Microsoft will gain the ability to engage in tactics to degrade quality and otherwise withhold. The proposed acquisition also would give Microsoft the ability to reduce efforts to optimize Activision content for rival products. Again, if this is your concern, this is exactly answered by a behavioral limitation, a consent that says, don't do these things, right? That you promise that they will be uh, equal. You'll allow us to audit those various things and move on with your lives. Activision also works to optimize its games. Activision isn't going to blow up when they become under Microsoft's power. The proposed acquisition would increase Microsoft's incentive to disadvantage rivals by withholding or degrading Activision content in the relevant markets. Well, this is a little bit tautological, if not false, which is to say Microsoft doesn't have any incentive to degrade Activision's content when they don't own it. They can't withhold it. It's not theirs. They can't degrade it. It's not theirs. So yes, by its very definition, when it is ours, we have a stronger incentive to do whatever it is that we do with it than we did before it was ours. So not great logic in this heading. If permitted to take control of Activision, Microsoft would have an incentive to disadvantage rivals by withholding or degrading Activision's content. So here's kind of one of the big sticking points 
This is where I think Microsoft stepped in it. This is true. They would have an incentive, right? The incentive being that you pull it off of Sony stuff and that if you want to play Call of Duty, you'll come play it on Xbox or you'll come play it through Game Pass. It's obvious enough that they have that incentive. The question is whether that incentive fails to outweigh or outweighs the money they would be giving up by removing it from the PlayStation ecosystem. And that's a huge amount of money. Microsoft has said that it makes more sense to keep it on that ecosystem. And they have also offered behind the scenes a 10-year contract to do so. One of the really interesting things here is that the Federal Trade Commission does not seem to have reacted to Microsoft offering these contracts at all, whether to Nintendo, which really harms FTC's argument that Nintendo isn't a part of this market at all, or to Sony, which harms the argument that Sony needs this to survive or that Microsoft would withhold it. Now, you could make the argument, FTC could come in here and say 10 years isn't long enough time. It would still be theirs. It isn't enough protection. It isn't on PlayStation Plus. That's a concern on the subscription side. They don't say those things. Gaming is a growing and lucrative market opportunity and one in which Microsoft is already well positioned. Microsoft already has a built-in incentive to promote its own products wherever possible, and it fully understands the competitive power that owning Activision's leading gaming content would yield. Yes, they have offered to spend $70 billion on an asset that they view as worthy of some value. Prior to the proposed acquisition, Activision sought to maximize its profits from the sale of its video game titles. The proposed acquisition would change Activision's incentives because Microsoft stands to gain significant products, profits from additional gamers purchasing Xbox consoles or Xbox Game Pass. It would change the overall balance, but you actually have to make the assertion that the balance would favor the withdrawal. You're right that there's an incentive. Let's see if they get to that point a little bit further on. Hence, the combined firm will be incentivized to disadvantage Microsoft rivals by withholding Activision content from or degrading Activision content on rival consoles. They would have a stronger incentive to do so. While AAA content in general is important to competitors in the relevant markets, Activision content is especially important because of its ability to drive gaming product adoption and engagement by users. And that is still evidence needed to be presented. Activision's own documents point out the significant role Activision content plays. <laughs> Activision touts itself in its internal documents. The proposed acquisition would reduce Microsoft's incentive to optimize Activision content for rival products. Again, uh, including via collaboration with Microsoft's rivals, given the competition between Microsoft and Sony, the combined firm will have less incentive to collaborate with Sony to, I don't know, make Azure available. In addition, because Microsoft Game Pass Ultimate competes with PlayStation Plus, something about PlayStation Plus here, Microsoft's statements and past actions indicate that it will likely act on its incentives to disadvantage rivals by withholding or degrading Activision content. <sighs> Microsoft stated earlier this year that it blanks. Microsoft subsequently has wavered in its representations as to blank. Moreover, Microsoft's past conduct is telling. Here's again where the European Union just blew up the major aspects of the Federal Trade Commission's document. This is where they say that they lied about Starfield and Redfall. Microsoft's previous representations to the EC about its incentives after its purchase of ZeniMax were not borne out by Microsoft's own post-merger behavior, not according to the European Union. Instead, Microsoft put its true post-merger incentives on full display when it decided to deny rivals its newly acquired future releases and thwart consumers who would choose to play them on a competing product. Microsoft's past behavior should also cast more suspicion on its non-binding public commitments to keep Call of Duty available on PlayStation consoles through the end of Activision's existing agreement. Now, hold on. The one thing we know Microsoft definitely didn't do with respect to ZeniMax is welch on the existing contracts, including the games that came from Arcane, Deathloop, and, uh, not, and uh, from Tango, which is Ghostwire Tokyo. How many random video game names can I keep in my head? 
We know that they had an exclusive contract with PlayStation. They didn't even try to efficiently breach. They didn't even try to pay damages. They put Deathloop there first, even though it was an award-winning type game, which I disagree with, but that's just me. Reasonable minds can differ. And they didn't even try to play games with Death uh, with uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. Deathloop and Ghostwire, those are hard to keep separate in my head. So that is ridiculous to say that they are going to walk back that. So we're even further afield from even the EC claims. And it doesn't acknowledge at all that Microsoft has offered a contractually binding commitment to Nintendo, to Steam, which rejected it because they're trustworthy, and to Sony. So you're giving power to Sony's rejection of a contract, even though Microsoft has no history in these recent deals of welching on contracts at all. Microsoft is eager to further build upon its already significant strength in gaming, sure, with Mr. Uh, Mr. Nadella declaring publicly Microsoft is all in on gaming, Looking to reap the financial opportunity available in gaming, Microsoft would be incentivized to withhold Activision content, thereby weakening competition and increasing profits. Okay, you have some homework to do, FTC. You think removing a game from the market leader's platform that makes a huge amount, so much that Sony thinks it's necessary to survive and that you get 70% to Sony's 30% out of those sales is going to be subsumed by the money that you can get from increased Game Pass subscriptions and hardware console sales. I'm going to need you to show me your homework because that doesn't sound very likely. And we've already seen the CMA do the math backwards, which is to suggest that Call of Duty would cost Microsoft an opportunity so much more than withholding franchises that don't exist yet in Starfield and Redfall. So you've got your work cut out for you. Moreover, as Microsoft internally recognizes acquisitions in this industry, uh, snowball. This proposed acquisition, the largest ever announced in the gaming industry, poses a reasonable pro probability of further accelerating the trend. And that's not Microsoft's problem. Okay, Microsoft is not the police of the video game industry. And if this deal doesn't actually substantially lessen competition, you can't say, well, that might cause more deals. It's your job to review them when they come up, Federal Trade Commission, not to preemptively say, well, this is going to lead to ones that substantially lessen competition. That's not the role. Withholding Activision content from or degrading Activision content on Microsoft's rival products will harm competition and consumers in the relevant markets. Withholding Activision content from Microsoft's rival's products is reasonably likely to substantially lessen competition. Raw assertion, but also goes against everything that you've already said in the document, which is that a healthy console environment competes for AAA content. And so you use that to distinguish 